This is the Cine Snob Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 195 of the Cine Snob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Jocelyn Durand. And it is the first show of 2021. Yay! Happy 2021, everyone. Hooray! Happy New Year. Uh, Speaking of New Year's Eve, the two of you hung out for (laughs) the first time ever? IRL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I feel that. like this is a hangout, so yeah, but like you know, in person, uh huh, socially we, distanced. Okay, mm-hmm. I hope so. I got Cody out of his bubble. Mm-hmm. I heard y'all had uh, fancy foods too. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was funny. Um, so I invited Cody over. I was like, "Hey, we're gonna do like a fire, and you know, like it's just gonna be me and my husband and my brother-in-law if you want to come over." And he was like, "Yeah, I do actually." And I was like, "Cool." You're and like, then, "Shit," he said, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but God, then he was like, it. "I also bought a um, Avett Brothers concert," and I was like, "We have an outdoor projector." Like, boom, all of a sudden, New Year's Eve. You're speaking speaking Cody's language there. But then it got kind of um, a little awkward because my husband was going to (laughs) make us lobster on New Year's Eve. (laughs) So I asked Gaetan, and Gaetan was like, yeah, ask him if he wants lobster. So then I had to like message Cody and be like, "Hey, um, I know that you're you've been really safe about COVID and everything, but like Gaetan's gonna be making us lobster. Do you want one?" <laughs> that <laughs> is, weird. and that is the weirdest question I've ever been asked. Is have you ever had lobster before? <laughs> I have had it one time on a cruise ship, like yeah. okay. when I was seventeen, and I and- had never had it before Gaetan. Like he, it's just like one of his specialties is lobster tail. And it was just it was just so weird to be asked the question, hey, do you, do you want a lobster? <laughs> like, it was just, for New Year's Eve? Come over for New Year's Eve and have lobster. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was more like because of COVID that I was like, I don't know if he's going to want it, you know, like prepared from someone else. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Like is that safe and all that. Like I don't want him to feel like he has to eat the lobster. <laughs> Why I would Matt, I, I'm going to guess knowing Cody, 99% of what he eats is delivered anyway. That's true. So it's prepared by someone else. Yeah, but they have like you know probably. Um, Are you saying that your husband that is dirtier than a, <laughs> your husband is dirtier than a Popeyes or some taco saying, joint? There's no health inspector in our house. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. It didn't have like the grade on on the front door of like what it didn't have the A. And if it uh, did, it would have been score. an F. Yeah. French. <laughs> <laughs> Was the uh, so like how? How did you maintain your social distancing while eating? Did you all eat outside? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We were outside had, the whole time. I had okay. assigned areas. I, I told Cody to sit in his corner. I was like, Cody, you're there. Mm-hmm. We're here. So and you couldn't touch, you couldn't hold the baby? No, the baby yeah. was sleeping. Oh, what a yeah. jerk. And then it was just super awkward that like they deloused me when I came in and then put me in a hazmat suit. And I'm like, am I, why am I the only one who has to wear a hazmat suit? And yeah. it was just really uncomfortable. Is but. this uh, is your brother the one that's that started giving me the biz on Instagram or your yeah. brother-in-law? Uh-huh. Okay. He's like our biggest fan. The he's the F one fan. I yeah, assume. and he likes um, Bond a lot, and he yeah, watches okay, every okay. episode, and he knows all our inside jokes, and it's kind of funny. Wow. Him and Cody uh, got to talk Spurs a little bit. The, yeah. Um, so how did the outdoor projection get? Was it not nasty New Year's Eve there? That's the thing. We were like, we had all these, you know, alternative like plans and how to do that. So then they they set up a tent. <laughs> it was a canopy. 
<laughs> yeah, canopy. Thank you. Not like an it, like not. It didn't have walls, and then they put a tarp on one of the sides to prevent the wind. Wait, who and did this? And it reminded this? me, my husband and my brother-in-law. Oh, okay, and it, okay. it reminded me of like that meme where it said like, "So let me get this straight. We can't eat inside unless the inside is outside, and it's people eating in one of those like wedding tents." Oh yeah. But ours didn't have a full, you know, thing, and we had a fire pit, so we were all mainly by the fire pit, far apart. So did you watch the concert? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we okay. did. Cody made Most us all. I didn't watch. <laughs> And, and he kept long. shushing us. He was like, shh. This is my favorite part. <laughs> Even brothers are, are playing. He started yeah. clapping for an encore. Like, yeah. yeah. We could just fast forward it, Cody. It was a super weird concert thing, though. Because, like, they were live, but they had piped in videos from other people. And then they, like, got in a van and drove away. And then more video came on. And then they drove to, like, a secluded, like, barn. barn with and, streamers. Yeah. Oh, so it was a live stream of a concert. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was a live stream. It was kind of but, like what Willie did on 420. I don't know if you saw that, but Willie Nelson did like a 420 live stream where he had all these musicians like beamed every, in, almost like a Zoom call. Every concert I've seen, every live live streamed concert I've seen has always been pre-recorded. Yeah, this one was actually live. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it was a pretty good concert too. And they had like Brandy Carlisle play, although her song was like a super bummer song. And I was like, come on. It's New Year's yeah. Eve. Like, heaven is a place on earth. God damn it. <laughs> no, that's, that's Belinda Carla. Yeah, that's Belinda Carla. Mind. Whatever. That's okay. Maybe Brandy Carla can cover it. She's like a country, almost like a country. I don't know. Like hipster country, kind of. The show was uh, emceed by Dax Shepard. Yeah, that Ooh. was weird. There was an appearance from Judd Apatow and Pete Holmes. That's right. It was an, an interesting night. <laughs> Why Dax Shepard? What's the point? And what? What? How? How are those? Any of those people related to the? They're to fans. The band? Well, I mean, Judd Apatow directed a documentary about the Avett brothers. Okay. okay and okay. then Pete right. Holmes. Uh, uh, they've been on Pete Holmes's podcast, and I believe also on Dax's podcast. See, I didn't know all this, and I thought it was just the most random assortment of people. And it kind of uh, was. Did uh, was was Kristen Bell there? Yeah, exactly. Aren't they always together? I'm so sorry I didn't invite you, Jared. I didn't think you would drive down. I'm kidding. We wouldn't have. No, <laughs> it was a nasty ass day here, it was. and um, we had to uh, because of uh, the fireworks. You know, we have to keep the dogs inside because one of them is a big giant baby, and he influences the rest of them. So it, the one of them is deaf. Yeah. She's old, and but you know. It's good for her because she's just like whatever, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Chill. yeah. but uh, the one the the one male dog we have is a uh, is the biggest baby. Gordy is his name, and he will um, whine and and moan. When, like whenever one of the other dogs has to leave to go to the vet, he like is whining and and crying at the fence. Like, Aww. dude, just relax, man. He's empathetic. Yeah. At one at one point, speaking of fireworks, we uh, Jocelyn put on the Eiffel Tower fireworks show, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we, put, we played a little. Um, it was like a little contest to see how many times something really phallic would happen with the Eiffel Tower, because it was just always fireworks just like coming up. The at tip. one point, Cody was like, "It's a little phallic," and I was like, "Duh, Cody! Like that is like the whole point of this show." Yeah, that was a the whole book. point of the the Eiffel Tower is the phallic. I mean, stuff? 
I'll send you some videos of their Bastille Day celebrations. Like you tell me, but I think Cody and I are pretty convinced that they know what they're doing. They're like, oh, yeah. we are, <laughs> like we are ejaculating like, on what? the bourgeoisie. There's like fireworks like spraying out the top. You're just like, what? <laughs> and then there's like a couple at the base that just pop out like that. It's uh, it's, so it's my, very... <laughs> yeah. My dog um is also very scared of fireworks, and he he jumped in Cody's lap at one oh. point. <laughs> I know. I was like, he likes you. And he's then like, what did you say? He's after like, no, that? I'm just scared as shit. Yeah. What did I don't know? What did I say? You said he only likes assholes after that. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> wow. Got, yeah. and that was, I had been there for like two minutes in that. No, got hit what with I that. think I said is he doesn't like assholes. Mm-mm. I was trying to say that he no. likes you, so you're cool. You said he only likes assholes. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, you know, I kid about being invited. I we. You know, we we would have stayed anyway, but uh, I really don't like New Year's Eve. Yeah, anyway. you're one of those. I, it's just such a pain in the ass to me. I typically don't, but that's the way to do it. Like, if you keep it small and contained, and like the live stream was really cool, and just kind of have to have in the background. You didn't have to fight to go to the bathroom. Jocelyn, did you ever work the uh, WOAI New Year's Eve? No, show? thank God, I did not. That sucked. Yeah, it looks like a bunch it does. of times. Yes, it's just like, so I don't know if they still do it the same way. And I don't know if they did it. They, I know they did a New Year's Eve show this year. I don't know what they did. But this was like on Alamo between uh, Commerce and um, what is it? Cesar Chavez. Oh, boy. Like right in front of Hemisphere Park. Yeah. And the whole street was closed and we had to run cameras and cable across the, you know, from the convention center down to the the fairmont hotel and um it was just packed with people uh nuts to butts as one of the engineers described it to me and i was like that is the best saying i've ever heard (laughs) um and then like the it would hit new year of the new year and then like at 12 30 police would just push everyone out and then it was um cleanup time and i mean vomit everywhere i mean it was gross it was such a gross and i don't i mean it's it was such a pain that made me. I think that's what sealed my New Year's Eve hating fate. That would do was having it. to work that crap because it was just not fun. Anyway, but yours for looked nothing, like a for ten seconds of yeah. For yay, like yeah. Uh, yeah, I can go eat some funnel cake for eight dollars. You know, I mean, there yeah. was probably less vomit at your New Year's Eve party, so I uh, there's at least a plus side there. Yeah, for sure. Um, but Some yeah. vomit, but less. Much less. Yeah, much less. <laughs> and it was uh, baby spit up doesn't count as vomit. <laughs> I was about so. to say it was lobster, so. <laughs> it was classier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything Anything else before we move on? We got a packed show today. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's go ahead and move on to our reviews. Here are this week's reviews. Our one movie this week is Shadow in the Cloud. You doing here? I'm commissioned for this flight. Captain! We haven't got time for this right now. Put her in the sperry until we get up in the air. I'm supposed to guard this. I'll guard it for you. Contents are confidential. What's your name, honey? 
everybody. Flight Officer Garrett. Ain't no women in the air corps. I'm a flight mechanic and a pilot. You're not a pilot. You're a delivery girl. <laughs> Sir, requesting permission to fire on an enemy attacker. You wouldn't even know how to fire a gun. I was being polite. She hit him! She was right! Who the hell are you, Miss Garrett? Ooh, so this is a uh, World War II era sort of horror drama <laughs> thing. I don't know what you'd call it. Um, famously or infamously uh, written by uh, now uh, Pariah Max Landis um, for good reason. Pariah, Pariah. That's a mm -hmm. is there a verb, past yeah. tense of that verb? Sure. Anyway, um, Cody, tell us about Shadow in the Cloud and what you thought of it. Yeah, well, um, like you said, uh, written by Max Landis and um, and trying to, you know, if you've been following it all in the PR campaign, they're really trying to scrub his name off of the film. <laughs> for as, good, yeah, for, for good reason. For good reason, yeah, because he's a monster. But, um, you know, it's it's funny that you showed that clip and it doesn't feature, and I'm sure maybe it does in the trailer, I haven't seen the trailer, but it it's missing like this biggest piece, which is that, the term gremlin is the thing that is, is that the movie is kind of based on, which um, it, yeah. I watched the trailer and there is no reference to that. Okay. It. So yeah, gremlin being a, a, you know, you may only be familiar with the term, you know, from the gremlins movies, but it was a, a, a world war two term or earlier military term for like something that would go wrong in an aircraft, like a problem. Right. right. Yeah. And and so and so basically, this is the manifestation of an actual gremlin, and I, I think that it's it's like the first piece of of this this movie that really has no identity um, and is a goddamn mess. <laughs> uh, um, but um, but basically, you have Chloe Moretz's character who is coming onto this plane with a bunch of. Uh, misogynists uh i guess um and they, this is they all talk like like the characters in a video game giving you shit dude, dude <laughs> that, i was going to say that this okay sorry yeah didn't mean to, no this this movie is an 83 minute video game cutscene where <laughs> where where like when she's in the turret or whatever and she's got these people talking to her it sounds like a video game like it sounds like you're in you're in like a a, a world war ii plane in a video game and other people are giving you like like they're razzing you and and like that's it and it's this, this most generic like sexism um possible and this is where you can really feel like the max landis come out in it all um <laughs> but um but yeah so it, it you know she's she's a british a british woman or so we think and then uh and then the, <laughs> in, in, in a scene where she kind of drops her accent but only but like keeps the accent when she's just by herself for some reason and not on comms it just doesn't you know none of it really checks out but anyway the she starts seeing this thing which is a gremlin that happens and then there's this whole subplot where she's carrying a package uh on plane that they're supposed to protect and then they reveal what the package is and i'm just gonna spoil it because who cares um <laughs> in in this bag that is protecting is a baby and uh <laughs> So ridiculous even hearing you say that it's just which funny to me. which when you see the initial bag she's carrying you're like that's very tiny like clearly there's something alive in it yeah right i knew it was a baby 
from the minute it started. I didn't think it was a baby because when it shows the baby later, that baby is ginormous. <laughs> I, I thought it was. I literally said to myself, I, th- oh my I God, thought, I think it's a baby. I thought it was a gremlin. I did too. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a gremlin. I wish yeah. it was because baby is somehow more ridiculous than if it was, <laughs> had been yeah. a gremlin. So, so this movie juggles between like, is it a feminist movie? Uh, which I think it tries to turn out to be, is it a feminist movie? Is it a horror movie having to do with killing these gremlins? Is it a war movie? And it tries to be all of them and ends up being none of them. Uh, And, um, you know, I I think Chloe Moretz, who is usually really good, is really miscast, I think, in this movie. I don't think that she fits the bill. Now, she's not given very much to work with at all in her defense, but I just don't think it's a great casting. Um the the cgi is janky as hell uh and uh and, and there's a there's a good portion of the movie that takes place where chloe moretz is like hanging outside of a plane and it looks awful i mean it looks like money plane level bad cgi well co- uh, so so yeah there's a difference and this is my biggest problem uh with that stuff is it's the cgi looks okay it's bad green it's the com- it's the compositing yeah the bad compositing can ruin yeah ruin anything and And, i don't know why it turns bad so easily yeah and in this one this is particularly bad green screening and like it's just it's just so goddamn stupid like there's like there's a scene where she falls out of a plane and then an explosion like brings her back into the plane i'm (laughs) like it's in the trailer so you're not spoiling yeah And, and then essentially it all comes down to like everyone starts getting wiped out on the plane and she is the one who can somehow fight back and then it ends with uh the worst fist fight I've seen in a long time. Uh, and look, I don't, I don't have much to say other than this movie is extremely dumb. Um, it try, it, it, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It has a massive identity crisis. But on top of all of that, it's just poorly written. It's ill conceived. It's, uh, it, it's just a total mess. And I think again, like I said, on top of all of it, you know, it tries to be this feminist movie of a, of a, of a tough mom. And it's just not. It's just none of those things. Jocelyn, what about you? Yeah. So um, I think that, you know, the first 30 minutes when she's stuck down beneath the plane and uh, as y'all mentioned that she's getting kind of heckled by the other guys, I didn't hate it. It was like, okay, this is kind of a run of the mill bad movie. Um, But there was some kind of uh, interesting tension that they were creating, you know, But then once the actual literal gremlins started coming, I was like, what the hell is happening? Not only that, there's also another subplot about Japanese planes that are attacking them that she is somehow the only one capable like capable of shooting down even or, though they don't or, or, or seeing. even seeing yeah yes first of all seeing but then also she's also the only one equipped to to shoot them out of the air and they never really fully explain like how she is so you know talented as a a shooter i don't know that's like <laughs> that's getting nitpicky though because there's really much bigger problems and um the little the literal gremlins was a big part of that um, because it was like half horror movie and then half like psychological drama. But then like Cody mentioned, it becomes this like, don't mess with a mom movie. And that was really, I think, insulting. Cause it was like, <laughs> it was, like, like Cody said, it was trying to be like a feminist movie and it was just so horrible. And they were using the baby as this like manipulative device that I was like, fuck this movie. This movie <laughs> sucks so much. And then 
as just when I thought it couldn't get worse, it would. And and then I started almost enjoying it because it was just so off the rails, but not enough to like watch it for, you know, the ridiculousness of it all, because it's just so far beyond that. And there's just so many other crimes that it's committing that it, it's just not an entertaining ride. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I think it's, it feels just like a more run of the mill bad than any kind of train wreck to me um like it has an interesting premise and, and i i was i was kind of um i don't i don't want to say excited at the start but at the beginning there's a, a cartoon that I, I don't know how much either of you watched the original looney tunes before but it's it's very much kind of a a, a different take on a bugs bunny cartoon of the same style where it's like this world war ii era sort of propaganda about gremlins and like the gremlin is personified as this little creature um in the bugs bunny stuff he's got like little wings on his head but um that was actually really well done um and kind of effective i think it's setting the tone but then i think this movie goes off the rails almost immediately because it has this weird like techno 80s soundtrack it sounds I, like stranger things i love the soundtrack but it's not fit for this movie at no, all no no but no it's no. cool music i like yeah, the music drive the music was yeah i mean it was I, I don't have a problem with the music i have a problem with the music being used in this movie yeah um sure. you know and, and there's there's some playing around with uh you know who exactly chloe moretz is playing in the movie and then it just kind of half-asses into this dumb plot about her escaping from an abusive husband with a baby. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that was thrown it, in. It really has nothing to do with the gremlin. Because I thought that was going to be the driving force of this thing was that, you know, there's this gremlin attacking. And like like I mentioned earlier, I'm thinking that in the in the case is a baby gremlin. And they're trying to research it or some shit. And the mother gremlin or whatever is trying to get the baby back. That's I watched that movie. That's what I was thought it was. That I thought I had it figured out. But then it turns into this dumb thing with a baby. That, and the gremlin keeps trying to steal the baby for what reason? Who the fuck knows? Nope. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the the Japanese, um, you know, pilots or the Japanese planes. They keep seeing like for some reason she's the only one that can see them, and uh, she's a crack shot. But she apparently is a, a mechanic or a I don't it's just, it's just this movie gets so it, it loses its way but it's, it's like it, the thing that about it that bothers me the most is that they could have leaned into any of these directions and they don't at any point do any of it and so right. it's so dialogue heavy for so long like there's this the middle stretch of this movie is like all talking and it's so weird that that exists in this thing well, because, yeah, the, you spend a good, like, is it, like, at least 20 minutes of Chloe Moretz sitting in the, like, the ball on the bottom, the Sperry. Yeah, I checked. It was exactly, like, 30 minutes of that. And it's 83 minutes long. Like, and, <laughs> come on. And all and all the interaction is done um, with the, uh, over the the radio with the other people. And, and I mean, it's so, there's so much talking. It reminds me of um, when you're watching one of those found footage movies, like a horror movie. And they're inexplicably recording every single thing. Right. That's how this one was with like, even there's the, is it the Scottish guy like confronting the other guy and it's perfectly on the radio? Like, why would they be? Right. He's holding like, the button while he's. Yeah. Yeah. Why are they doing this? Um, 
it's just yeah it just it turns so boring and 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 dumb as soon as the reveal of the baby is there because it doesn't make any sense like it doesn't have any kind of dramatic weight to it because it's just a tool but it does but it's like it doesn't mean anything like you know they they're they're giving her the the you know that's why it's so insulting because it's like just a device to be used yeah And, and you know the gremlin is just like nothing has anything to do with anything like the gremlin has nothing to do with it it just is a thing that exists all of a sudden um yeah this is just a bad movie anyway grades cody yeah like i said i think i think the biggest part about it like if it wanted to lean into like the bloody camp of it it may have at least been like fun but it wants to be bloody camp but it also wants to be like a powerful feminist statement but it also wants to be a family drama like and it, and it doesn't commit to any of those things it feels like a movie that like if you could tell that this is a rescued script from max landis i mean you can tell that this was once one thing and then someone rewrote it to try to add other things to it it feels tacked on so um i don't have anything good to say and i'm gonna give it a d plus jocelyn yeah it's a huge mess i'm giving it a gentleman f d minus Ooh, yeah i'm gonna go with cody it's a d plus because i I think there's some interesting stuff in the first 20 minutes of it i think the gremlin itself actually looks pretty cool i i think that yeah that that thing looked how cool about when and- he entered the earth's atmosphere also and then he's able to like be on the ground too so he's able to be in the air without oxygen and he's allowed to be on the ground and in the water i don't know did well, that not no, bother you guys there i mean those planes only flew like six thousand feet no the actual gremlin that's what i'm saying those planes oh. aren't those, oh those i aren't see like it was very high yeah yeah oh okay Thank you, I, I had more issue with the fact that the <laughs> o- I had more I had more issue with the uh, fact that the oxygen tanks exploded. Oh. Oxygen oxygen isn't isn't flammable. It just helps fire burn. <laughs> All right, let's move on uh, to our main topic today: the top ten movies of 2020. Look, Too man, much fanfare? It's, uh, <laughs> it's just a little revelry, like we're starting a horse race here. So what we're going to do is we're going to count down backwards, starting at 10 with uh, uh, each of our movies, and we're each going to go in order. Um, we may kind of skip some movies to talk about them later, but um, uh, we do have some, some doubles on this list. So we're going to start at uh, number 10 with Jocelyn. Jocelyn, what's your number 10 movie? Since I have a unique uh, choice in this in this spot, I kind of struggled, as Jared knows, with figuring out my tenth uh, choice. I I had a strong nine that I really wanted and knew that they were my top nine, and then my tenth was just kind of like I could not choose between a couple. And then I just saw Emma yesterday, and that kind of I wanted to throw that in. What you two chose as your 10th, I also was like really struggling with putting in this spot. And then I landed on to five bloods. Oh, 
This is a Spike Lee joint, of course, uh, that was uh, premiered on Netflix. And you mentioned uh, something to me in particular, why you picked The Five Bloods. Right. I mean, even in that clip right there, you can see like it was so it was there was a lot of good things about this movie. And I think it far outweighed a lot of the things that maybe weren't so good. Um, there was like a treasure hunt. It's a Spike Lee movie. And whenever you have a director like that, you kind of you feel like you're in good hands with someone like that. So you you sort of like look past the sort of negative parts. But then also Chadwick Boseman's one of his last uh performances not his very last but one of his last and you know for that alone i think it deserves a spot there um i follow spike lee on instagram and really just like yesterday he posted this picture of chadwick kind of like like standing in this light and and he was making these references to like christ and stuff and i wouldn't go that far but i think what spike lee was trying to say was that there was something about his performance in this movie that there was like a spirit to it and especially now that he's gone i just think it's such this like incredible performance and this beautiful part in this movie so for that alone i think it deserves a w spot in my were they do you, was he talking about him as a person or as the character because the character is sort of True. this lionized person that, You're absolutely that these guys right. have he was, well he was talking about him both he was saying that there was a part where they were shooting it and he had kind of like stepped into this light where everybody behind the camera like felt something if that yeah. makes sense and i don't know if spike lee knew that he was terminal but, I don't think anybody. I think like yeah. uh, just a few people did. I don't think well, even, especially as like someone who is directing this person to then look back and reflect and and realize that like this thing that we were all feeling was real, is pretty incredible. So anyway, but you know that's not to say it. it it's a fun movie too, and there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of really you know, fun in it. A lot of things that are, of course, a problem, but I'm going to look past all that. Uh, yeah, I think the the first half is way stronger than the second half. Um, yeah. Cody, you got anything to say about to five? No, I, I, I liked it. Um, and I think that um, there's some great performances in there. Um, and I think as a, as an acting ensemble, I think that it's really interesting. And I think it's got, you know, I think the, the um, like the, there's the landmine scene, I think is one of the more, be one of the better scenes of the year. Yeah. Um, just in a vacuum, but um, yeah, I, it's a good choice. Okay, let's move on to uh, Cody, your number 10, and my number 10 is the same. What is it, Cody? Well, for number 10, uh, we went with, separately, uh, the Shutter film Host. Hey! Hi, guys. Hey, hey Joe! Gina! Caroline! Hi, Teddy! Hi. <laughs> Let's do a shot after us. <laughs> okay, everyone get in. Three, two, one. Have you ever done anything like this before? I've never done this over Zoom. Obviously, we're not physically together, but there's no reason why Spirit can't communicate over the internet. Nothing's going to happen. Visualize us sitting in a circle. Spirit, we invite you to use us to pass on any communication. Is there anyone there? Please come forward. What was that? 
Jamie, was that you? I heard it. I heard something. I think there's something here. So this is, uh, like you mentioned, a Shutter film, uh, filmed entirely on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, It's uh, it's about a a group of friends in the UK having a seance. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, what 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 had you put it at number ten? I I I, I'll give my reasons after you. Well, you know, I, I. Sort of similar to to Jocelyn, I had nine movies I felt really good about, and um, when I have not just nine, and I have that tenth spot, I sometimes like to leave it for something a little bit different. Um, you know, especially when all the movies at ten potentially are about the same, I want to pick something that stands out as being, you know, why I'm going to put this in my list over everything else. And for me, it's such an interesting encapsulation of the year that it exists in, and. As a film that came out in 2020, and this being, you know, the strangest year of all time, um, it does a couple things that captures that in a way that this is sort of going to be an interesting time capsule as we look back, where, you know, it's the year where Zoom became the norm, and it's the year that social distancing became the norm. And to be able to do what they did and to take something that had become part of our daily lives and then create this really interesting creative horror film out of it i think was nothing short of genius i think that this film is so well done it's so effective it's impressive how they made it i think it was something like six to eight weeks from conception to releasing it onto shutter yeah um you know the work that was put in how all the actors are doing their own special effects and and, and you know wiring with fishing rod to get the stuff to move and stuff like it's just such an impressive feat and uh, in an, such an interesting way to take something that became, you know, in the in in sort of like you know part of our daily, like I said, part of our daily lives, part of the lexicon, and just make it super scary and I think really effective. And so I was just so impressed by it. And I honestly think more than any other movie in 2020, this is probably the movie I recommended to people the most. Like, hey, watch this. I mean, it's 56 minutes long. It's an easy watch. And um, and for me, um, something that really stuck with me. Yeah, um, same here with that. I mean, it, it probably is the one I've recommended to more people uh, just because it's so immediately familiar to everyone. Um, there have been movies that have tried this before. Uh, Unfriended, I think, is one that we talked about when we reviewed this. Um, and something else I know uh, was there's a John Cho movie, right? Yeah, well, that wasn't a horror, but it was called Searching. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's similar. Just this entirely takes place in a like a computer desktop. And, um, you know, this one, I think, is the first one that really pulled it off. And I think it helped that, you know, everyone was in this situation now. You know, there there's not some sort of artificial construct to, to get people into this. It was just this is what we do now we're on zoom and we're, you know, I, I think it had a nice touch. You know, there's some character that starts on the phone and then transitions to a desktop. There's just a lot of little nice touches that put this thing at, um, you know, at, at something that's Im- intimately familiar with, uh, to everyone right away. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the biggest compliments I think you can pay to, to a movie, especially something like this, that was thrown together in such a short time. I mean, this is really, um, I, this is the this is just one of the sh- two Shutter movies I have on my list, and it's really shown that Shutter is uh, really turning out some quality programming, uh, mm-hmm. film wise. Um, Jocelyn, you saw this, right? I can't remember. Were you on the show when we reviewed this, or was this yes, before you? Yes, uh-huh, I did, and okay. I had the same reaction when I would recommend it to people, and they would always come back and say, "Like I saw it, and thank you. That was actually really good." 
And then something else that I really liked about it was the scares were, they weren't grotesque. It wasn't gory. It was like really psychological and clever. And it was like a fun scare. And it's like really hard to do that. I think nowadays is to find that like perfect, perfect spot for the scare that isn't like so over the top. It's just like very subtle and, and lasts throughout the movie. And, and they did a great job with that. And, and they find ways to make Zoom specific scares. In yeah. fact, it's there's a scare in there that another movie used later in the year. To, oh, really? Yeah. There's there's one particular um, the face mask the- thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The- yeah. I don't know what movie that ah, is. I got it. Yeah, I can't but- remember what it was off the top of my head, but I do remember seeing it um, later in the year. Um, it might have been, um, oh, well, the devil, uh, uh, tenant. Oh, the devil. <laughs> no, not the-, the, the dark and the wicked. Was oh, that it? Maybe the dark and the wicked. But anyway, uh, I mean, I, I like the way that it uses it's, I like the way that it, it uses, um, zoom to create scares that are unique to like, it has another great. A gag with like a with like a back a zoom background the looping background yeah that yeah. was super cool it's just so it's just so smartly done and I'm excited to see so that um after that movie came out the director of it signed a deal with Blumhouse um to create like a series of movies I think it was like a multi picture deal and I'm really interested to see what he does in the future yeah uh all right uh that again that is my number ten movie as well. So I'm going to move on to number nine, which Cody and I both uh, share as well, and that's Palm Springs. Nice. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. This is a Hulu original uh, starring Andy Samberg and Christina Milioti. Uh, also, J.K. Simmons is in this. Um, essentially, Groundhog Day as a romantic comedy, I would say. Um, a little more dramatic in some parts than maybe most people might have expected uh this is a movie that was that that i don't know that i really warmed up to initially um but the more i thought about it the more i i i liked it because it is kind of an easy watch Mm -hmm. um now are we are we saving this discussion no no no. since since we're both on uh uh, but i think jocelyn has it higher oh shit yeah we should save this discussion (laughs) i already screwed up the the format of this show yeah and you played the clip first too yeah well shit uh, we'll talk about it later. Uh, you know what? Uh, God damn it. Uh, just do it. Jocelyn, uh, it. Yeah, we'll just talk about Palm Springs yeah, now. Jocelyn, we'll you have it up. Yeah, you have it up. Uh, um, I, Real I, high. You have it up at number five. Um, but a, what did you think a, of? What, did, what, what made you put it so high? So I put it up so high because I think it's a nice little palate cleanser, um, especially between a lot of the heavy kind of documentaries that are, you know, out this year that are very good, but also very like taxing on your, uh, you know, emotional state. I feel like this one was just so fun and kind of like you, Jared, where it's like, I didn't want to like it at first. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, God damn it, that dumb movie. I liked it so much. (laughs) And um, even I was talking to Cody about it at New Year's. 
there was a scene when they are enjoying being in the loop and they do this like dance routine in the middle of a bar. And I think that was the moment that I was just like, okay, now I really like this movie. Like that's when it kind of like won me over even more. Yeah. I think, uh, JK Simmons, um, uh, like hunting them down, hunting Andy Samberg's character down, um, was a great moment for me. Um, and where, cause like you can, you can, um, live like like the rules of it were you lived every day uh or you lived that day until you died you either fell asleep or you died fell asleep or died yeah but you still could feel pain right so like if you got injured in an accident like jk simmons did and and didn't die then he still felt the terrible pain and Mm -hmm. he had to uh like he was driving across the country like every day uh, to go back and visit his go back to his family. Anyway, it's just it's it's on Hulu. Um, it's a fun watch. It's you know it's not um, it's not the same as Groundhog Day. It's well, got the same I, sort of premise. It's like Groundhog Day for millennials. Well, I think the the major difference in it and the thing that I like the most about it is that you don't when you find Andy Samberg's cam, uh, character in the beginning of the movie, he's already like in the thick of it. And I think that adds such an an interesting dimension to it all because you don't have like the typical like in Groundhog Day where he's where, you know, Phil is going through this series of events that covers the first, you know, 45 minutes of the movie you get. And and I love the intro to Andy Samberg's character, too, where you start realizing that, you know, okay, this guy has been here for a while and then you see someone else come into it with him. And then, of course, that's the other spin on the Groundhog Day idea is that there's people with him going through this. And, and I think one of the, one of the more, uh, um, you know, interesting parts of it is that he's encountered, uh, her character before, mm-hmm. like, you know, they ended yeah. up like he slept with her before they, uh, they kind of fell in love in the trapped in the loop. And she remember the, everyone trapped in the loop remembers they're in the loop with who they're in with. So it doesn't, he doesn't have to get to know her every day, but yeah, it's um, it it was a fun movie, I think, and it's available on Hulu uh, right now. So, Jocelyn, what is your number nine film? Sure, um, I chose one of the Steve McQueen movies that was released on Amazon or short films, I guess you can call them. I don't know what they're called, but um, I chose Red, White, and Blue. Yeah, um, I don't seem to have that clip, but uh, yeah, you have. Uh, <laughs> Damn it, where did it go? Oh, here we go, sorry. Yes, yeah, small, small axe, red, white, and blue. At least this way, Dad, I can change things. Get out of my house! Out there, it is us and them. That's how it works. I'm out there with no backup! Time to think. The earth needs to be scorched. You planted so something good will come of it. Yeah, this is uh, the third uh, in the Small Axe series. Uh, of course, you could see starring John Boyega. Why'd you put it at number eight? Or number um, nine, I should say. Yeah, just because, you know, I had heard so much about Lover's Rock, the movie, the second movie in this series, and how much everyone really enjoyed it. And I had been a little disappointed by that one. And then I had kind of been blindsided by this one where I was watching it and really enjoying it. Um, and and I wonder, I mean, I know that like this 
particular issue was a huge part of 2020. Um, so basically, it's about a police force and uh, a person who grew up in this neighborhood who is actually a doctor. He's like a scientist. And then he goes back to join the police force to sort of be the change that he wants to see on the force and, and to have more representation representation um, of people that look like him on the force. And that's such a big idea this year. And I, it, it just really kind of seemed to line up with everything that was in the news and mm -hmm. then having this like really pretty narrative about it. Um, and I say pretty, but I mean, it's really brutal. Like a, a big part of the story is his father, um, who's kind of a rebel rouser gets uh beat up by the police. And then he has to kind of deal with his feelings about that and, and joining this force and um, all that together. And then also this performance John, by John Boyega that I just did not expect from him. It was all just really surprising to me and uh, really enjoyable. Yeah, uh, this is, I think we mentioned this at the time, it's probably the most accessible of the small acts films and probably the one that, that you know, is is rings the most uh true to americans too because it's these are british issues these are british films and it's british issues uh sadly it's very similar to yeah what's happening in the united states but uh yeah i i, I did i think this one was probably i think lover's rock is is probably a little better but it's way more of just a slice of life right cody what about you what did you think yeah, I think it's I think it's good. I, you know, these small I did not see the last two small axe movies. I, I I like them enough. I think that they they did not quite reach me in the way I think they're reaching a lot of people. And I think that they're solid movies, but nothing really kind of moved me the way that you know, Lovers Rocks is seems to be the favorite of everyone. Um, but Mangrove is on a lot of people's lists as well. Um, so I, I think Red, White, and Blue is probably the the most accessible, most um, applicable to you know at least our you know our relationship to it and i think that again it's just a it's a great showcase for john boyega yeah cool uh that's available now on amazon prime uh we're gonna move on to number eight i'll kick it off with beastie boys story now here's a little story that i got to tell about three bad brothers that you know so well it started way back in history with that rock mca and me mike d What we're gonna do right here is go back, way back, back into time. Cody, your camera's off, but uh, yeah, that's uh, Beastie Boys' story uh, that was released on uh, Apple TV Plus. I don't know, Cody, can you hear us? Are you there, Cody? Cody's Cody is Gonzo. Uh well, well good we don't need him I'm gonna I'm gonna t I'm gonna take him off and uh, we'll uh, we'll kick him off and I'll wait till now he comes back Whoop, whoa <laughs> I'm gonna remove him uh, let's make him full screen I want to hear exactly what he has to say oh he's not there at all uh, this was the week before I joined the podcast so I didn't get for to Beastie Boy story uh, did you watch it I didn't, and I'm a huge fan, and I need to. There's Cody. Cody's back. Hi, well, Cody. Welcome back, Cody. Yeah, you. so uh, my number eight pick is Beastie Boys Story, um, as I was mentioning. Uh, Jocelyn, you haven't seen it. Uh, this was an Apple TV Plus original. Um, you know, I, 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 this is another movie I initially had a, a kind of distance to, I think, because it's not your traditional documentary format. Um, it's presented almost like a TED Talk 
we I think we we compared it to, and lots of people have compared it to, um, with um, um, uh, Adam Horowitz. He's uh, yeah, right. No, Yauk is the one that's yeah, passed, yeah, right. Yeah, Adam Yauk is the one who passed away. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's Adam Horowitz and uh, Mike Diamond uh, presenting these. You know, their their story as the Beastie Boys. Um, Horowitz is is way better at it. Um, he's the kind of the natural showman of the two. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, um, stuff that, you know, maybe you knew, maybe you didn't, that the Beastie Boys used to have a female member, that it was a bigger band. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, if you're a fan of the Beastie Boys, it's kind of a must watch. Um, it, it does go a little light after, um, after, uh, um, license to, I'm sorry, uh, ill communication, uh, you know, when you kind of just barely touch on um, uh, "Hello Nasty" and the, and the stuff that came after that, um, but for the most part, I think it's it's uh, it's got some really great stuff. A lot of great photos, um, video of uh, people like Rick Rubin and um, uh, who was the other guy um, that they kicked to the curb that they broke with Cody. Uh, oh, um... the the. Shit, the Def Jam guy. Uh, oh, Russell, Russell Simmons. Yeah, sorry, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But yeah, it's um, uh, w- one of the coolest things I remember, and I told Cody this when I was watching it. There's a scene where they released uh, when they released Paul's Boutique, and they're uh, in L.A. and they're doing it, which Paul's Boutique is a fantastic album that you know at the time was such a departure that no one cared, but they're at the record release party there there's a skywriter writing beastie boys in the sky over la and i was there when that happened like i remember uh waiting in line at universal studios i think for the tram ride when i was a kid and me and my cousin seeing that in the sky and i was like beastie boys um but yeah seeing that happen i was like oh shit i was there when this happened because it was like the summer of 1989 um, it was just a cool thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not your typical documentary. I think it's probably a little, um, you know, they're old, they're old mid now and it's a little more corporate, I think, than, you know, the spirit of the beastie boys would, would lead you to believe, but you know, they've been super famous for 30 plus years. So. And Spike uh, Jones did it, right? Yes. Spike Jones directed it. Yeah. And, uh, he, you know, they like kind of play uh, jokes with him, like cues and stuff. Um, but you, you did not see it, right, Jocelyn? No, and I need to. Cody, I, I, what were your thoughts? I don't remember. We talked about it so long ago. This is actually an honorable mention for me. This is probably somewhere in the 10 to 15 range and one of the ones I kind of wrestled with it, putting it number 10. Um, it's real. I, I really liked it. I think it has one glaring issue that you pointed out, which is, I believe that what I said on the original show was it's really comprehensive until it's not. Yes. Yeah. And it just, it's and it's so comprehensive and so interesting. And then it just sort of falls off and goes into Adam Yauch's death, which, you know, that's an, a great part of the show, but also it feels like there's like 30 minutes of this thing missing. Um, and I think that's the one disappointment about it is that I wish it would have just kind of kept its pace and been a little bit longer and, and told the full story. But outside of that, it's really enjoyable. It's really funny. Um, Adam Horowitz is, is really a great personality. And, um, and, and just seeing them together is that you see the chemistry that they have. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't not see it. So, I mean, Mike, Mike D pretty much looks the same except older. 
like uh, Horowitz just sort of looks like a, a, a dad. Like, yeah, like someone's dad. It's um, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's on Apple TV Plus now. Uh, Jocelyn, so let's move on to your number eight. Tell us what it is. Uh, I'm gonna have to look at my list. <laughs> I can tell you. I can tell you if you <laughs> no, like. I got it right here. Oh okay. yeah, this is no one had this on their list for um, good reason. No. Okay, <laughs> this is a movie called The Nest. Things are dried up here for me. Yeah. There's an opportunity. Where? London. This would be our fourth move in ten Turn years. Backwards. But money's fine, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a fresh start. How about this? You shouldn't be working for someone else. Be your own boss. Build your own place. Own your own horses. Something doesn't feel right. It's not your job to worry. You leave that to your husband. It scares me that you actually think that. This, uh, yeah, that's Jude Law and... Um, Carrie Coon. Yes. Uh, tell us why you had this at number eight, Jocelyn. I love Carrie Coon. I've loved her ever since The Leftovers. Um, and she does, of course, great in this. But uh, this movie reminded me how good Jude Law is also. I had kind of forgotten or just never really paid attention to him as an actor. And I thought he did a great job in this. Um, so what I liked about this movie, it's kind of like a marriage drama and um, it, it takes place in the 80s, you know, during the whole like more is more type of mentality. And Jude Law is this kind of smarmy kind of guy who is constantly like wheeling and dealing and, and trying to sell himself and trying to sell, you know, his wealth. And the funny thing that, about this movie that I like that it did is usually the wife is kind of like um, either on board with that, like the the extravagance and like spending this, you know, fake money. And in this movie, you have Carrie Coon, who's so smart and so like apprehensive about it and kind of like onto him that I think that it made it really interesting for me. Um, and then there's just some really cool moments in it. Uh, there's like a particular dinner with the coworkers that she has to tag along to that she just has had enough and she goes out kind of has a, a night of her own afterwards that I just thought was really a cool scene that has stuck with me. And then, um, and then, I, I, I don't know, it's just, it seems like a very simple movie, but I think that there's just a lot of undertones that I really liked about it. And I never saw the first movie that this director did, but I know Cody said that it's even better, that he liked it much more than this one. So if that's the case, then I'm going to love that first movie. You're talking about Marthy, Marth, Marth, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, Meriwether. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I found this to be um, somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat uh, dense and hard to, to get through. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't care for this movie at all. I don't, I can't remember Cody, what you thought of it. I, I liked it as an acting showcase for Carrie Coon and, uh, Jude Law. I, I, in it, but I think for me, it's basically this like slow burn of a facade cracking. And I think, I think your, your patience is a little bit tested occasionally on it. And I, and I, and I don't know that it, it goes anything beyond that and has anything 
incredibly profound to say. Yeah, I remember y'all were like really against how long it took to get there. And I was just enjoying the slowness. So maybe that's like a testament to me. I may have a better attention span for this type of a I liked movie. when they shot the horse. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh. Um <laughs> Yeah, is there anything else? Because I, uh, okay, I, we do have a, uh, a question from a viewer on Twitch, uh, Zachinator19. Uh, this is a, a, about a movie that came out in 2019, but we'll still talk about it. He said, What do you guys think of Tarantino's latest Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Oh, thanks, Cody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, I, I really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it's uh, the sum of its parts is better than the movie itself. Um, yeah, I, I like it as a pure buddy movie. I would have watched mm -hmm. two and a half hours of Brad Pitt and Leo like just driving around and, and having that relationship, um, you know, sort of be the whole thing. I think that it gets a little bit bogged down by some of the Manson stuff. Um, and uh, I, and I do some of the Hollywood stuff. And yeah, as much as I wanted to like the Sharon Tate stuff, I don't know that it, it connects the best. But you know, I will. What I will say about it is that um, I, there, I know that the ending of that movie is really controversial. I think it's a blast, and I think the ending oh, yeah. bit of that, you know, as as a bit of wish fulfillment, is really cathartic, and I and I love. Yeah, it. that's when it started being a Tarantino movie all mm -hmm. of a sudden. Yeah, yeah uh, I think uh, one of the best uh, pure acting performances. Um, is in the the middle chunk with uh, DiCaprio and uh, uh, Timothy Oliphant, yeah, uh, shooting the western. I think that's so so great. And Brad Pitt is just uh, Brad Pitt won the Oscar for this, right? I was about to say Brad Oscar. Pitt earned his he Oscar. No, I mean it was he he's really great. great in this movie. And I, like I said, I think the movie, the sum of its parts are better than the movie itself because I think the movie itself is sort of there's not really anything happening. And like Cody said, I think as a buddy movie, it it, it would it played way better. Um, because I think the two of them together were really, really good. Um, I saw yeah. someone doing a quiz of if it happened in 2020 because it's been such a crazy year. And one of the questions <laughs> was Brad Pitt won his Oscar. And yeah. it was. It was in 2020. It was uh, earlier this year, right before. Zach, Zach, and, Zach and Ader says his, the trailer scene was the best for me. Is that the is that the one where they like threw uh, DiCaprio into other stuff? No, See, I think I what think he's talking about where, is where Leo has his... No, oh. Leo has his breakdown. Oh yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. The, in the trailer after that, after the scene you're talking about, Jared. Okay. Um, where where he he kind of, you know, messes up that the Olafent. Well, because Brad Pitt scene. also lives in a trailer. That's true. And yeah. he goes back and he feeds his dog in the trailer. But yeah, Zach, he, Zach and Nader. Confirms. I think that's it's the, the it's the breakdown. Like okay, cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I think um, uh, there's some really good stuff too uh, when they are. Uh, uh, it's like the girl. There's like a little girl mm -hmm. um, that the DiCaprio's yeah, playing off of. Yeah, just anything where they're, where they're like filming that Western, I think is really good. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, number seven. I don't think I went for my number eight. Oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Cody, your number eight uh, is uh, The Painter and the Thief, something we're going to talk about a little later on in the show because mm -hmm. I'm not going to screw it up this time. So, Cody, <laughs> tell us tell us your number seven movie. Yeah, so my number seven movie is Miranda July's Kajillionaire. After this person. And clear. Now. There's a camera there. There. And there. 
cash. Nope, any order. This is not a cheap tie. Most people want to be cajillionaires. That's the dream. That's how they get you hooked. Hooked on sugar, hooked on caffeine. Ha ha ha, cry, cry, cry. Me, I prefer to just skim. So do I. This has, uh, uh, as you can see, Evan Rachel Wood. Um, uh, that's Deborah Winger, uh, uh, Richard Jenkins, and um, uh, shit, uh, Gina. Uh, Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez, yeah. Uh, why, is, why you got this at number uh, seven, Cody? Well, you know, I just really enjoyed the the little strange world that this movie creates. Um, it's 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 a really offbeat movie. Um, you know, like kind of like the legitimately quirky and weird things. And there's so many small details that I think Miranda July does. Um, I still to this day think about old dolio and the origin of of the name that is a great that is a great little piece of writing it it is it's so it's so great and so the main character evan rachel wood's character's name is old dolio and it's just it's just such a smart little thing and i think the the thing that always stands out about this movie when i think back to it is this incredibly magnetic performance from gina rodriguez who i think um just walks away with the movie in a movie with a lot of great performances she's this she it's just such a magnetic um, like well played performance, and um, I just really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy the the relationships um, about it. I, I enjoy um, the complexities of it. I think that um, it's it's you know about it's it's this it's like a very strange coming of age movie, but it's an adult coming of age, and I think that um, uh, I, I just really. Um, you know, I think it's it's one of, you know, I, I have a lot of really heavy movies in my top 10 as usual. And I think this is one of the lighter pieces that I just um, really had a lot of fun with. Uh, yeah. You know, I agree with everything you said. I think the movie just has a little too much quirk. There's a, just a little too much weird for the sake of being weird. Like mm-hmm. they, they basically live next to a bubble factory or something. Like I don't yeah. even know what's happening there. Um, but yeah, I think that, that Gina Rodriguez is really good in this. And I think Rachel Wood is good too. Um, Jocelyn, what about you? Oh, I think it's funny that you said it. it's a lighthearted movie because I don't know, something about Miranda July just always makes me think about existence in the world in such a way that is like really heavy. And this movie did that as well because she's just, she has a way of highlighting some of the worst about people. Uh, in addition to some of the best of people, but there was a lot, a lot in this movie that kind of not upset me, but I don't know, just made me kind of like feel a little heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was, I mean, I, I think, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely kind of nicer than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little, uh, you know, I, I thought it would be a little darker, but it, it, it ends yeah. up being pretty, Pretty nice, I think. In the I long think it's run. a sweet movie. I I, yeah. I do, I, and I think Jared, your your criticism of it is valid. I think that your your enjoyment of the movie is going to be dependent on how much quirkiness you can handle. If you've got a if you've got a good tolerance for it, and you like some of that stuff, like like um, I don't even because I think it's 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 just so it's very specific, right? It's it's got very specific. Yeah, odd things it's about almost it. like a it's almost like that sort of wes anderson specificity i don't think it's nearly as intricate but there's that really kind of like laser focused specific thing every now and then mm-hmm. um that doesn't really quite add up like the, I, and i think one of those plays fairly well where there's the the gina rodriguez's character is like a hospice nurse or some some sort of nurse and they go to basically rip this guy off 
and he just wants to hear like the sounds of a family. Like he, he makes yeah. them argue and, and kind of, you know, talk with one another. And that's very laser focused peculiar, but I think that one works. I don't yeah. know that the bubble factory thing really ever makes sense. Yeah, so. and then there's the scene that happens like in the bathroom at the gas station that's kind yeah, of that's strange. A, that's a little more meditative and I'm okay with that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're saying, and it's it's a little more of a kind of a dreamy sequence. But. And the family's kind of horrible. I mean, when you think about it, what they've done to their poor daughter is like it's oh, not yeah. like lighthearted. And, but, and I mean, heavy. well, yeah, but the and the old Dolio reference is yeah, um, that that's too. also very very specific, <laughs> and I think that one works uh, really well. Uh, cool. Okay, Jocelyn, what's your number seven? All right. Um, I know it. It is a documentary that they shot in Austin called Boys State. I will skip the part where I brag for three minutes about how great and cool I am. Seeing as we are all qualified young men of skill and character. People like that stuff. People like that stuff a lot. Some people say they're a sports junkie. I say I'm a politics junkie. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. I'm playing this like a game. I would like very much to win. I love it, boys. I love it. Where are you from? I come from a very modest family. Uh, I'm on the course to be the first one to graduate from high school. I'm a progressive person, and I'm in a room full of mostly conservative people. Our masculinity shall not be infringed. Uh, 99% of those kids are going to uh, Washington, D.C. on on <laughs> on January 6th to protest uh, uh, in favor of uh, President Trump overturning the election results. Yeah. Anyway. You don't was, know that. Come on. Uh, come on. <laughs> what I movie were you that. watching? Yeah. I, I, this is, um, yeah, this is, uh, I was not a fan uh, because I found these kids kind of unlikable, but. Oh, I think it was like watching Lord of the Flies. Like, it's like watching if all the, if all the teenage boys were on a desert island and fighting over who's going to be the king, you know? Yeah, if the king is Ben Shapiro, <laughs> like they're they're all trying to have uh they're all trying to be like the next uh um what's that uh the guy who was in the meme about the change my mind? What the fuck is that guy's name? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. He's like I a, know the meme he's like com- he's a comedian, he's a right-wing comedian. Listen, um, Jared, get your own top 7 movie, okay? Ooh. Hey, look! I, if you want to, if you want guys that have stopped the steal in their Facebook profiles, I don't. Go right I ahead. didn't. I didn't see it that way. I mean, there was a lot of other, like there was a lot of characters that were there to prevent it from being that, from being just a there bunch was of one. kids. No, there, there was, was one. two. There was the main one who was running for governor, and then there was the guy who was um, who he was like the speaker. Remember? Oh yes, yeah. And he was like out and proud, and he was like speaking up for all the was people. I don't think he was out. I don't no. think he was out either, and that's why I wasn't assuming anything. Sorry. F- figures you would like this. Movie. <laughs> no, anyway. I, it, it. I just found it to be kind of like a um, chilling more than anything. Oh, I thought it was super fascinating. I thought. You know, even when you see that one kid who you pointed out was just like that character in Election, uh, played by <laughs> Chris Klein. Yeah. Is it Chris Klein? Yeah. Um, like, as soon as you said that, it, like, it 
a light bulb went off in my head and I liked the movie even more because it's almost like he has seen that movie and is playing a role. A lot of them. Yeah. He's like a mix between that and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Oh God. I just loved this movie so much. And I loved the real life characters. Um, I even follow one of them on Instagram and he's like, yeah, (laughs) he got into UT this year and I'm just like, yay. So excited for him. And, is this um, only the UT connection that, that makes it so strong too. for you? I think it's okay. like a personal thing too, is that it's like shot at, on the campus and it just makes it look so pretty and it makes me miss Austin. And I just love this idea of like them being this into politics. Like they are. Uh, they're not into politics. This is yeah. a fucking popularity <laughs> contest. But, but it's not. It's like the, they, the, they create their own platforms. That's what politics based, is. Based on. No, it's not. It's a two party system. They're yeah, trying to create their own popularity stuff. Popularity contest. But. No, but it's not a. It's not so much about politics as it is like uh, how to run a campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm going back to this. Is literally like watching a weird version of Lord of the Flies, where all the you know young men are on an island and there there's no laws and they have to create their own and and just what will happen and it's like a cautionary tale. I think for uh, me, I think for me that's why it doesn't work for me as much because I feel like I. I think it really struggles at times with, is this supposed to be an alarmist thing? Or is this supposed to be something we're laughing at and making fun of? And I I don't think it ever picks. You get to answer that to yourself for yourself. These are the the kind of kids that would have a pick. These are the kind of kids that would post a picture of them with Ken Paxton unironically, you know, and it's like, like, but but the, the thing about the politics thing is that, when they're talking about policy, they don't have anything interesting to say, like well, except for like one or two people. Have you ever been a nineteen-year-old? You know. Yeah, but it's not. But but then you also say that it's about people that are into politics, but well, they're not I mean, because maybe, they don't even have a grip on what issues are. Well, maybe one day in ten years they will have a better understanding of that. But they are teenage boys who have this like loose interest in it. You know, it's like that one guy who's like super into Reagan. <laughs> oh yeah the, the kid that has the 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 disability mm-hmm. yes like he has a uh what did he have he did he have an uh, artificial leg i don't remember he had some sort yes. of uh, disability yep. yeah but, I, yeah look. so it's just like people who you know it'd be like us when we were that age into movies they're just like you know <laughs> right I mean? but it doesn't deprive thing. anybody of rights or you know kind of disenfranchise people but you know i get it it's it's kind it you know hearing about this boy state thing, uh, I do gotta agree with Cody. Like, are we supposed to kind of mock these kids? And I don't think that was ever the goal, but I think are we supposed to be alarmed? And I think that might be the goal mm-hmm. is to be, um, you know, caution that these are the like these are the guys that are, you know, these are the people that are interested in this stuff. And that's the people that are going to be shaping this stuff going forward. Uh, you know, policymakers like, and there, you know, there's the one kid who is not the kind of conservative caricature. Uh, well, there's the two, but there's the one kid who actually garners some sort of power in the organization. Uh, well, the two that they show, you have no idea what the rest of the people that are there, you know, how they feel. I bet I do. <laughs> I really bet I do. You know, Texas isn't the conservative. Like, there are blue dots around. Just, I get it, but you. I mean, do you, I mean, 
you saw the conversations that were happening politically for everyone running was going up and giving their stump speeches and not any of them ever said anything remotely progressive or or liberal minded it was all a bunch of, of like did, no they didn't no they well, didn't the one yes. kid yeah, look, the one the kid had to hide the fact that he was a liberal that's what i loved about it like his speech was so moving and so like inspiring to the rest and he of lost <laughs> and he Tragically, fucking and lost hey that's a spoiler that is a big part of the movie and but, i loved watching it all play out the problem it's like the, y'all are arguing the reasons that i love this movie that's well, why this show is beautiful yeah um <laughs> we have a we have our policy here that cody and i are running on this platform of i'm scared of these kids um and jocelyn you're running on the these kids are okay yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not okay. I just I love watching how flies. how young racists develop. You know, have y'all read wait. Lord of the Flies? It's yes. not a rosy picture of yeah, but the male yeah, and, aggression. But every good kid gets killed off. Exactly. Like, I'm saying this movie is like watching a version of Lord of the Flies play out. Yeah, but yeah, the so which one is the piggy? Which one gets thrown onto the rocks below and? has his glasses stolen that's not a literal interpretation but <laughs> anyway um available on apple tv plus watch yeah. it and then instagram uh, me about it <laughs> so yeah which i gotta find this kid that you're following uh oh it was the one who lost for governor oh so the pro the progressive kid yes yeah. of course okay good of course uh, <laughs> yeah i got it i got a feeling in in 10 years you're gonna be uh uh Stop the steal. Oh, stop it. No. And, You're, then you missed, then you didn't listen to me once. And look, that's I, how you feel. This movie has redeemable stuff You're about it. You're just doing that to anyone. <laughs> what me? No. This movie has redeemable stuff <laughs> about it. I just, Jared. I just think it, that it, you know, for me was missing something. Yeah. Um, okay. So my number seven, um, is something, uh, we're going to talk about later. That is trial of the Chicago seven, the trial of the Chicago seven. So I'm going to go with my number six movie and I'm the only one that's got this one. That is promising young woman. I just thought that you were drunk. Yeah. Really drunk. Fuck. Yeah. Well, I'm not, but that's good. Isn't it? I think you should leave. Oh, now you want me to leave? No, I just... I'm really high. Like, I'm really fucking high right now. I don't know what I'm doing. I think you should go. But a second ago, you were determined for me to stay. You were pretty insistent, actually. I'm a nice guy. Are you? I thought we had a connection, I guess. A connection? Okay. What do I do for a living? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. How old am I? How long have I lived in the city? What are my hobbies? What's my name? This is uh, sort of a, I guess you would call it a Me Too revenge fantasy film uh, starring Carrie Mulligan. Uh, you also have uh, Bo Burnham, who I think is really good in the movie. Uh, you have... Um, uh, a, a, a lot of uh, little smaller parts like Chris Truman's Plast there in that clip. Uh, Laverne Cox. Laverne Cox, I think, probably plays the only good character in the entire movie. Like the only like mo uh, not morally corrupt. Well, I think uh, Clancy Brown and um, 
Jennifer yeah. Coolidge are good too. But uh, anyway, um, the basic gist of this is Carrie Mulligan um, was a uh, medical student uh, who dropped out of medical school after her lifelong friend, uh, also in medical school, was um, uh, essentially raped um, and humiliated and uh, killed herself. And as a result, uh, Carrie Mulligan's character plays uh, kind of possum as a victim, uh, you know, as a drunk girl at a bar, and gets guys to pick him to pick her up and take her home, and then turns the tables on him, as you see in that clip. It's very similar to like Hard Candy, if you've ever seen yes, Hard Candy. Yeah. Um, so I, I I thought this was really enjoyable. It's it's pitch black at times. Um, and by the way, we may cover this in a couple weeks when yeah, it's out on it's, VOD. Yeah. Um, and it's, I can't uh, wait. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I really. It, this is the most recent movie on my list that I saw. I watched it just a few days ago, and I was really captivated by it. Um, it does have some problems that I will acknowledge, and I think Cody and I were kind of discussing that before. Um, it's you know, there's. It's a little more black and white, I think, than than it really should be. But uh, I think. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is really great in it. I think Bo Burnham is really good in it. I think the movie kind of lets him down a little bit, but I, I think overall this movie is really well done and I think has some really clever indictments of um, kind of 2000 and 2010s culture. Um, there's a Paris Hilton song that plays heavily in this movie. And when I, when I, you know, we'll talk about it when we, when this movie was released and, and Jocelyn, that you've seen it too. I think that it's, it plays as a little more of an indictment of, kind of the culture at the time than uh than uh than it may initially let on and it's the director of killing eve the yeah the former executive producer yes oh thank yeah. you yeah um, and i'm a huge fan of killing eve so if it's i've never the seen thing... killing eve but yeah i've i've heard good things about it it's not That's killing set... eve it's killing steve <laughs> shut up but cody you weren't uh you were less of a fan of this I think it's all right. I think that, um, and we'll talk about it maybe in a couple of weeks, but I, I feel like it, it shows its cards pretty early. And I think once you realize what it's trying to do, it makes some of the plot points that happen in the, in later on in the movie, I think like not pack the kind of punch I think it wants to. Um, so I, I think that's its biggest, its biggest problem. Yeah, among- I can, I can see that, but I, I just thought it was, I mean, it's, it's a. It's got some flaws, but I think it's a good dark little movie. I think. I just think it's a little bit on the nose, but you know, mm. I can see that. Uh, okay, number six for Jocelyn. What do you got? Um, it's a documentary called "The Painter and the Thief." And again, Cody had this at number eight. So here's the painter and the thief. I don't know what to think. We have identified the thief. We have not found the painting. Uh. <laughs> We had his name from the court papers. Hello? You might know who I am. I'm just a curious person. What made you do it? It was your masterpiece. He's our painter. Love to make a portrait of you. I'll ask you regularly to sit here. I can tell you some more about how I got to be a criminal. This guy is often quite self-destructive. It feels like that is his way to be seen so uh jocelyn how what made you put the number six um so uh i know cody's gonna 
speak about it too because he had it at his number eight uh, choice. But um, I so this movie is about a, an artist, and you can see her there, and she has a piece stolen right at the very beginning of the film, um, and then it's kind of about her tracking down, you know, her piece of work, and then also finding out who took it. And then it becomes this whole other movie where she kind of wants to understand who this person is that that stole her painting. Um, and I don't want to give too much away because it's just really an incredible story. And the fact that it's a real story is really incredible. But um, what I really loved about it is like to see such a talented artist. I think that's what also was so impressive is that her works are so beautiful. Like she isn't just someone who is like, I'm a painter and you know, they just kind of throw some crap on them. Like we, you know, you can often see like she's an incredibly talented artist. And then not only that, but she's an extremely thoughtful person. So to just see that together and to see her wanting to know more about this person and learn more about him and how their lives kind of become you know, intertwined, I think was just really incredible. And I think Cody will probably mention that it's going to be made into a movie soon. And I think it definitely should, because the fact that this is a, a story is just like one of those like stranger than fiction types of uh, movies. So. Yeah. I, I think it's one of two movies on my list and uh, in Jocelyn's list as well, that are documentaries that feel like narrative movies um, in this really interesting way. And, um, and yeah, I mean, for all of the reasons that she said, I, it's, it's, it's a really incredible story. It's really moving, but I think the, the best thing about it and what ultimately really won me over is that for so long, it becomes this portrait of, um, no pun intended, um, of, you know, I knew you couldn't let it go. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it becomes this portrait, a portrait of what, you know, this guy who is like, you know, as it's, it's it's shown in the movie kind of fucked up and in like you know how his life went astray and what happened to him how he became a criminal and in in like how she is finally being like she's maybe one of the only people who can see him for who he really is and then the movie does this turn where it switches perspectives and it becomes about the artist and you start seeing in this really lovely way how she's kind of fucked up too and and you see their stories start parallel having a parallel relationship and you start seeing how closely related that these two are and you start to understand why they form their connection and i think that is is a really stunning part of the movie and um and yeah it's on hulu um if you want to watch it's part of it's one of the neon movies that was released throughout the year on hulu and uh, i just think it's really incredible i hope they don't mess it up with a narrative version but um uh, it's well worth watching. What uh, European country is it in? I forget. Oh man, it is. Uh... Is it Norway? It's not Norway, is it? Oh man, it might be. It might be Norway. I think it is Norway because I think it's in Oslo. Yeah, I'll have to look it up. But um, yeah, I, I I was I was fine with it. I wasn't uh, super crazy about it. Uh, yeah, it is Norway. Um, but I I do agree. It's it's pretty. I think the artist is a little more of a put on of a of a of a persona like the 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 subject the the guy who was the thief is is pretty fascinating but i think i feel like the artist is a little bit of a a facade but uh i still found it interesting enough uh cody your number six movie yeah my number six movie is a movie that we probably won't talk about until february um because it's you know with the oscar 
stuff pushed back so far. Um, it's really a uh, slow, uh, slow roll on this one, but it's a movie called The Father. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. <laughs> Paris. They don't even speak English there. Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How oh, do you do, sir? I say, you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I must say, he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? So that is uh, Anthony Hopkins, of course, and uh, Olivia Coleman, right? Yes. God, I love her. <laughs> Tell us why this is at number six. I haven't seen this movie, and I assume Jocelyn hasn't either. Yeah, so it's it's basically, as you can probably gather from that clip there, it is, uh, it's a, a movie about um, Anthony Hopkins' character who has dementia. And... Um, and uh, it is based on a play, a, a, a Pulitzer-winning play, um, and uh, or maybe just the playwright is Pulitzer-winning. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, but it's 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 basically showing the um, you know the struggles that Anthony Hopkins is having, um, trying to understand what's kind of going on around him, and it does so in this incredibly visceral way where. Um, where you kind of are put in his shoes a little bit and you get to see and imagine what it's like to be in a position where, you know, he may not recognize where he is or his surroundings start changing. Um, it does a really interesting thing with casting that you'll see. I don't want to spoil it um, inside this conversation, but it's pretty easy to say for me that Anthony Hopkins gives the best performance I've seen this year in any movie from any actor. Um, and he's absolutely incredible. I think it, the Oscar will go come down to him and Chadwick Boseman um, f- for uh, Ma Rainey. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I'm really excited to talk about this. It's not, you know, it's not super uplifting, as you can probably tell. Um, yeah. it, it is heavy and it is, um, um, you know, it, it kind of is, is kind of a self-contained movie that, that mostly takes place in, in this apartment. Um, but Anthony Hopkins is absolutely incredible, and um, uh, and I just really, really like what it does. Um, I think it tells a story about Alzheimer's or dementia in a way that I don't think has really been put on screen before. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to talk about it further. Cool. All right. Uh, number five, uh, we're going to move on. Cody, yours is uh, The Trial of Chicago 7, which, of course, we will talk about later. Jocelyn, your number five is Palm Springs, which I talked about uh, <laughs> uh, ahead of time. Uh, okay. So my number, we'll move on to my number five, and it's The Way Back. My father didn't like me very much, and someone told him I was good at basketball. He paid a lot more attention to me. And I realized it wasn't me that he loved. It was what I could do. I spent a lot of time hurting myself, trying to hurt my father. I never picked up a basketball again. I need a new coach, Jack. You're the first person I thought of. The team any good? No. <laughs> In fact, the last time they made the playoffs, back when you were playing. It's the whole team, 10 kids. I want to know why they're leaving you open. It's because they don't think you could hit the ocean from the beach. Oh, snap. 
heard you're coaching basketball. Just my mind off other things. You will decide the game. The players decide the game. I understand you're trying to motivate the team, but we have a code of conduct. Oh, oh shit! I'm working on it. Work harder. So this is uh, the first of a couple of movies uh, I'm going to call sentimental picks. Um, and I don't think, and I, I think this movie is a, a great movie. Um, but this is the last film I did see in a theater. Me too. Um, and I, I think it's a really, really great performance from Ben Affleck. I think it's the, I think it's his best ever. Yeah. I, I would be uh, hard pressed to think of something better. Um, this is a sports movie that doesn't really fall into that cliche of sports movies. There's actually one, just one scene I can think of that's, a little too cliche on the nose and that's when uh, he goes to visit the dad of one of these kids um but i think this this kind of subverts the expectations of what you think might happen in a movie like this you know you're picturing this sort of redemptive arc and it has other ideas um like i said uh ben affleck is great in this movie it's a very very kind of lived in performance you know not the least of which i think is the fact that he's had real life troubles with alcohol um there's uh al madrigal is in this comedian al madrigal uh is really great in this as an assistant coach um it's just it's a nice uh quiet little movie that i don't think um you know i don't think falls into any kind of easy to categorize you know because you saw the the clip says from the director of uh warrior and miracle you kind of get the the vibe with that you know what you're getting into um uh what you think you're getting into but you you have something different and i think it's um i, I just think it's really well done and it is again the last film i saw in a theater um but you know i, I could have there's there's way worse movies i could have gone out on and i think this one's really stuck with me since then yeah, this is also in my honorable mentions, probably somewhere in the maybe like twelve to eighteen range. Maybe if I had to guess, I, I, I got a lot of honorable mentions. Yeah, I got like about like thirteen points. I have like ten honorable mentions, but yeah, I mean, I think it does a lot, and it does a lot really well because it's a story about alcoholism. It's a story about grief. You know, it's a story about. Yeah. Um, I forgot about the grief. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a story about grief. It's a story about. Um, you know, sports in some capacity. Um, it's got a lot of really great little qualities to it. I love that, you know, he works, he, it's, you know, he's, it's at a, like a, like a church school or whatever. Oh yeah. It's a Catholic school. A Catholic school. And he's like cursing up a storm, like the entire movie. Uh, Yeah. And the, the team has like a, 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 not a pastor. What is the, what is that? It's like a, like a, a father. Yeah. I can't, I don't know what the Catholic yeah anyway it's it's a priest but he like travels with them yeah like and he's there on the sidelines he's like the traveling priest no but i mean he's like (laughs) he's like one of the guys assigned to the team he's a roman catholic to oh god he's uh (laughs) ah jocelyn got it (laughs) to keep keep them uh like they have a code of conduct right that the that the player is supposed to follow and he's the one that's like the moral arbiter of all that stuff but anyway yeah, and, and I just think it, it does a lot of stuff really, really well. Um, I think that at times it feels a little bit like melodramatic, and I think that's its one weakness is it does veer into the melodrama just a little bit. But um, yeah, but directed I, it? Gavin O'Connor. 
he directed the accountant also another uh i think underrated ben affleck movie yeah but i think it's i think it's it is the best performance that uh anna de armis's boyfriend has ever given so (laughs) (laughs) uh it must be good to be ben affleck right yeah you you why why you Anyway, um, so uh, let's move on. He's like 22. Let's move on to number four. Uh, Both of you, uh, Cody, you have The Sound of Metal at four. We will talk about that a little later. Uh, Jocelyn, you have Collective at number four. We will talk about that later. So my number four (laughs) is uh, the second Shudder movie on my list, and that's La Llorona. Lo que se quedó atrás. This is not to be confused with the uh, Linda Cardellini uh, horror film, uh, The Curse of La Llorona, which, why is there a white woman named Famous Linda Latina. Cardellini? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a uh, 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 Guatemalan film. Um, basically, the plot is there's this uh, Guatemalan uh, warlord, dictator, who is uh, facing trial for um, uh, essentially uh, genocide of um these Mayan uh, indi- uh, indigenous peoples of the land and um, is put on trial and then gets put under house arrest and is then uh, sort of haunted by a, the La Llorona spirit uh, in the form of a, uh, uh, one of the indigenous people, uh, people, uh, one of them, a maid who is, uh, have this background and, um, it sort of drives him mad and everyone around her, him mad. And then he ends up sort of reliving the massacre or no, is it his wife? I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, yeah, just a really, really effective movie. And it's not really your traditional horror movie. Like it's very, you know, it's not based on, uh, you know, it's not a true story, so to speak, but it is sort of similar to things that had happened. Um, a lot of politics in it, um, you know, kind of how these, uh, you know, these people that are, warlords and dictators are pu- are punished um just a really powerful movie i think that that kind of came out of nowhere for me uh and i really really liked it and it's uh it's all in spanish obviously as you can see but uh you know it's uh it's a pretty easy movie to follow um it's think- uh, guatemala's oscar entry um, oh really well. yeah uh yeah it, it's it's really great um Cody, I know you saw it. Jocelyn, did you see it? No, that was a week and I missed that movie. And I think my shutter pass had expired or something. Oh. I just, you know, it just got too complicated. But now I think I want to go back. And I remember you liking it a lot that week. Yeah, this one is also in my honorable mentions. And um, and it really is a, 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 a movie above all else about genocide. I mean, that's, that's what the yeah. movie is about. And it's yeah. told through the lens of this, you know, horror folklore. And I think... Um, one of the, it, it's, I mean, I think it's, it's basically when, when you, um, sort of 
break it down it's about it's like a sins of the father type of movie as well right um and i think that it does so in a really effective uh interesting way um yeah and yeah i mean and we, we talked about it this is the second shutter movie making an appearance and you know above all else <laughs> one of the things that was interesting about 2020 and, and everything moving to streaming is that shutter seems to have a really good grip on what they are doing in terms of like finding quality homes for these horror movies that are sort of like interestingly effective and um and i they have an eye for good stuff i think and international ones it seems mm-hmm. like they're doing a good job too yeah and uh you know they're kind of um you know i'm not a big horror person generally um but you know they seem to be catering to that crowd pretty well uh they actually they brought back joe bob briggs i don't know if you were ever familiar with joe bob briggs uh that used to be on tnt he's like kind of a a caricature of a of a cowboy movie host they do horror movies he's on shutter now um they also have been curating their library because there was another movie if you guys remember the deeper you dig um that family super low budget movie is on shutter now and they and i think they have it tagged as like maybe even a shutter original Mm -hmm. um um also verotica is on shutter now so yeah um yeah no this is a it's a this was this one just was really powerful to me and it really kind of um it really stuck with me i think is is one of the biggest compliments i can give it is that it's really you know it's not your typical like shock uh you know jump scare horror movie it's more Mm -hmm. of a psychological and cody sins of the father i think is probably the biggest the best thing to say about it uh you know best way to to characterize it uh so let's move on to number three and again uh, both Cody, uh, you have Collective at number three, which we'll talk about later. Jocelyn, you have Never Rarely, Sometimes Always at number three. We'll talk about that in just a moment. <laughs> so my number three is another sort of horror movie, and that is Spontaneous. Hey, mind if I join you guys? Tess, don't look now, but there's a boy staring at us. I think he's staring at you. Oh, right you are. Can't keep me down Tell me something, just for me. First time I saw you was right after Spiros introduced me in front of the class. It was a good first impression. Caitlin was cute, airy, hardly a reason to pop like a zit. What happened? Caitlin exploded. What? Like a bomb? No, like a balloon. What? Will I get these back? Do you want these back? When they know it's not gonna happen again. Then what's gonna happen again? It happened again a lot. This is one of my favorite uh, surprises of a film uh, to come out this year. Uh, it stars Catherine Langford, uh, who you may have seen in Knives Out. Uh, Charlie Plummer, who uh, was in another movie we covered, Words on Bathroom Walls. Mm-hmm. Another good um, movie. Surprisingly yeah, good movie. This is... Um, so the the plot is essentially these uh, high school seniors are spontaneously combusting, and no one knows why. So they get essentially quarantined um, while they try to figure it out, and th- that's really all I want to say. I don't want to spoil it. It's just, it's just such a engaging performance from Catherine Langford, um, and just really, really well written and smart, and um, not pandering at all. And, and you know. This reminded me, uh, um, you know, the the idea that uh, there are 
feminist movies that, that try to be feminist, like the thing we talked about, uh, Shadow in the Cloud earlier. Um, <laughs> but then there's movies that just have really strong female characters that don't that aren't flaunting it. And I think this is one of the best examples of the year so far. And there's a great, great scene later in the movie where Catherine Langford is talking to an older woman. Uh, that's it's it's this really touching scene. It's so well done, um, and it's not again. It's not pandering. It's not any of this like fake girl power crap, um, like you see with you know stuff like Shadow in the Cloud. That's really kind of ham handed. It, it's just a really really uh, surprisingly fun movie. And I think Cody, the, you talked about this. If the, if this had been a Netflix movie. This was actually just released on VOD, I think, in, in theaters. Um, if this had been a Netflix movie, this would have been probably a huge hit that people would have been talking about. But For sure. As such, I don't think I've heard anything else about it since yeah. it was released. Uh, you didn't see this, though, Jocelyn, did you? Mm-mm, no. Cody, you you were pretty, a pretty big fan of it, too. I was. It's it's in my honorable mentions. Um, mm-hmm. What isn't at this point? Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's got a really interesting and specific comedic voice where there's a lot of really great pop culture references. And um, and I think that it, it grasps teenage conversations in a really great way, too. You know, sometimes you can tell that teenage stuff can, you know, or high school movies can be affectations. And I think this feels really authentic. Um, great performances from both Catherine Langford and Charlie Plummer. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's really enjoyable. And, um, and a surprise, you know, like based on everything you hear about it, if you look at the movie poster, it's not, it doesn't look particularly good. Um, and uh, it just sort of kind of subverts your expectations in, in, in a really interesting way. So yeah. it, it, it's probably in the lower half of my honorable mentions, but it's in there for sure. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our number two movies. And Cody, what's your number two film of 2020? My number two movie is Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And she's not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. You going to New York? What are you doing there? Seeing family and stuff. Who came with you today? My cousin. Do you have a place to stay tonight? I know you came from far away. I'll figure it out. This area's closed. Do not sleep here. Where's the rest of the money? I want to make sure that you're safe. I know this is hard. right cody why'd you have this at number two well so this is interesting because this was a movie that i saw in a theater in 2020 um i there was a press screening of it um i want to say uh end of february or early march it would have had to have been so this is probably one of the last movies i saw in a theater and um it is this incredibly um empathetic movie and that's the be- that's the best way i can think about it because it is a movie about a 17 year old girl uh getting an abortion and having to travel and cross state lines in order to do so in a place that will allow her to and um 
And the way it kind of tells that story is from a perspective that is completely non-judgmental. It doesn't indict this girl for anything that may have happened. And also it, it treats, you know, I was talking to Jocelyn about this, but it treats the way in which she got pregnant as a, well, it's really none of anyone's business, but hers. And so it, 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 it kind of shows the juxtaposition between, you know, where she is in her, you know, kind of conservative hometown where they're trying to, you know, not even caring about her and trying to push her towards having the baby or uh, giving it up for adoption versus going into New York city and, um, and actually get kind of carrying it out. And so it's this, it's this kind of, uh, somewhat slow moving, but, but really interesting character study. It's, uh, it features a first time actress, Sydney Flanagan, who is really, really great. And, and, and shows so much talent with not a lot of she I mean it's a very quiet and subdued performance um, but when it's called upon her to show some really um, dramatic features uh, she's really great at it and it's got I think two of the best scenes in a movie this year one of which takes place um, where you kind of understand why the movie is called what it's called it's a really powerful scene and then another scene in a movie um, in, in the movie later where um, she's traveling with her cousin, and her cousin has to kind of um, – she's put in a difficult situation, and, and they kind of connect over that. So for me, it's just so empathetic. It's so – you know, it's it's strange to say that a movie this kind of, like, heavy is is kind of um, a beautiful movie, but it's it truly is. Uh, the cousin is played by Talia Ryder, who I yes. think is probably better than Sidney Flanagan in the movie. She's really uh, great. Uh, Jocelyn, you had this at number three. So. Yeah. I think um, Cody did a good job of explaining it. And um, I think uh, what he was describing is like, it doesn't, it doesn't place blame on anyone, but it also doesn't give you an out for it. And I think that's like really clever because especially with a movie like this, you know, I think it's, it's just natural to say, Oh, well she deserved it. Or, Oh, she didn't deserve this. Do you see what you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like you want to say like, Oh, she's justified in her decision or, Oh, she's not justified in her decision. And this movie doesn't let you do that. And that's what I loved about it, where it's almost like Cody said, it's her own decision and it's private and we aren't the ones to place blame on her. But then also, I mean, it is a movie. So I think if, I had been able to see it in a theater. I, I just am jealous of Cody for having that moment because it's that perfect movie that you want to see, you know, alone in a big theater with just like this silence that this movie brings and the heaviness that it has. I just feel like it wasn't the same, you know, in my living room where there's distractions and there's, you know, other dogs things going scratching on. his ass. Yeah. <laughs> my dogs yeah. don't do that. But but I think that's a lot to say for some something so heavy is that they really did just such a service to the subject matter that I just loved it so much. And it stuck with me. And even afterwards, Cody was like, what did you think? And I was like, I am finally speechless, like for once, <laughs> where I was like, I'm just, I'm literally going to have to just think about this movie for a little while because I am, I literally have nothing to say or, and I don't want to say anything. And that's really unusual for me. But then also that one scene that Cody was mentioning where we find out where the, where the um, title comes from, I had read about it. I already knew what was coming and it, it, it doesn't even do it justice knowing what it's about. Like just watching it unfold is incredible. Like you're just yeah. like, how did they do that? Like, I want to know. And it's seemingly so simple, but I think people, 
who know, you know, about filmmaking and about acting, like they will understand how difficult it was to to create that freaking scene that is just like, oh, I got goosebumps. It's like one long take, right? Yeah. 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 I would yeah. say it's like probably three minutes and it's just nuts. So good. Yeah. I mean, um, I had some issues with the film. I think there's some parts of it that don't quite stand up to, uh, I feel like this sounds bad because I, every scene you're talking about is, is, is great. But I, I do think there's some stuff that's a little too broad, um, and a little too kind of, um, you know, there's a cashier at the store that they work with. That's oh, like, I mean, the, the treatment of men is ridiculous. It's a little yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to get at. And I, I do, and I, I know I remember disagreeing with Cody on this, the, the, I, I didn't feel the same way he did about the, the journey that Talia Ryder's character goes through. Uh, you know, he, Cody kind of sees, saw that as more of a, this is something she had to do. And I saw it as something that she wants. I felt the movie didn't properly communicate that. I'm not going to spoil what it is. Uh, I didn't feel the movie properly communicated that point to me. I see. Uh, and again, and again, that's, that plays into the whole sort of, and I don't want to say, you know, like it villainizes men oh. because men are villainous, obviously. I mean, but, but I mean, there's a, it's a strong uh, subject matter of this movie or a strong tone is that most of the male characters truly suck. And, you know, that's not a that's not <laughs> a discredit to the movie. I mean, that's just like what it's about, I think. But also it's it's the there's not really many male characters in it. Like there's three. And I think that that none of them are really kind of treated in a in, in, in that way. But also I, I think most of them have it coming in some way. But but I, I feel like the one that 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 interacts with the cousin. Yeah, we, we, we have a big disagreement on that character. Yeah, I sure. feel like that character is the is either done a disservice by the script or is uh, not intended to be in that situation and it's being misinterpreted. But anyway, I, I think it's, I think the performance is great. And like I said, I think Tyler well, Ryder is- that's the complexity of the relationship between just in general. I think that that's supposed to be the case where it's not always black and white about whether someone's good or bad. But see, and, I don't think that, know. I don't think the movie, is acknowledging that, that. Yeah. I, I want to make one more point too because this was I, I'm stealing Jocelyn's point here but I want it to be talked about so um, it does this really great thing where it shows its characters in this sort of like in between of being adults and children and it shows these adolescent girls being forced to do some very adult things and in that in between kind of yeah, that's what yeah, I really loved about it is like when you're 17 years old, you're you're not a child and you're not an adult, but you're, you're not you know, a girl, having... but not yet a woman. <laughs> yeah. It's just like Brittany said. And uh, so, it... But them having to make these really crazy decisions and, and navigate their life and go through New York City. It's just like it was a perfect slice of that age. And, and that sort of weird in between world that these girls are in. So I, I think I think that the the kind of journey to that point and everything to get to the, you know, and then, you know, the, the scene you're talking about where the title comes from is pretty devastating. Um, I, I do. So I, I just think that there is some character problems with the ancillary characters. Uh, personally, I don't think it ruins the movie, but I do think it is a little, it muddies the waters a little bit too much it, for my liking. 
And by the way, this movie and The Way Back are both available on HBO Max for anyone who has not seen oh, them. Oh, wow, cool. I'm going to watch uh, The Way Back. Uh, so let's move on to Jocelyn for your number two. And this was Cody's number four film. What is it? Yay, I think it's Sound of Metal. Well, it is. Jocelyn, what made you put this at number two? Dang, some heavy stuff. <laughs> some heavy, heavy metal, stuff. am I right? Some heavy metal going on. Um, I don't think this movie would have worked with anybody but Riz Ahmed. I just thought he was so fantastic in this movie. He's so expressive. His eyes are so big. And I think he had to do a lot of acting that wasn't, you know, that that was a it was like a very physical performance. Not just because he's a drummer, but because, you know, when you when he loses his hearing, there's just a lot of emotion that's attached to that. And um, I think he did a great job of uh, showing how scary that would be. And then also his character really tries to like hold it together really well. Um, and then I loved the kind of journey that he went on. And then um, also the ending just stuck the landing for me. And I hate when movies don't know how to end. And this movie just ended, I thought, so perfectly, like little chef's kiss. It was just so lovely. <laughs> Cody, you had this at number four. Yeah, uh, I think that it, it is um, it is maybe the one of the most, if not the most visceral movie of the year. And it's and they do uh, things with sound design in this movie that are stunning. You know, you see it a little bit in that clip, but, you know, you get to hear what this character is hearing and going through and it kind of recreates and represents hearing loss in a way that, um, you know, you can't help but kind of feel for this character because you can be put in his shoes in some way. Um, I agree that Riz Ahmed is really great. Uh, I'm real. I've been really happy to see Paul Racy win a bunch of critic. He's winning a lot of supporting actor critics awards, and I'm hoping maybe he gets an Oscar nomination. Um, and Paul Racy plays the guy who runs the um, uh, basically the community that the I guess it's basically like an AA community for um, for deaf people. And um, and you know the scene that happens between Paul Racy and Riz Ahmed at a at a at a kitchen table. Um, in like the you know uh, the close to the third act of the movie um, is one of the best scenes of the year, um, and I just really enjoyed this kind of really interesting character study and um, and, and found it to be um, a really powerful movie. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to re-argue the points that we made about it. I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic character study. I think narratively it has some problems, and uh, thematically I think it has a few problems. But I think Riz Ahmed is fantastic. Um, you know, he looks like a guy I would have known. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? If, I, I mean, thought like of that a, a couple times when I was watching it, where I was like, he has embodied that guy. Yeah, that we like, all know, like this so wiry, you know, um, former drummer. addict, drum drummer, you know, uh, a good guy at heart, but has a lot of demons. Um, yeah, I think he's really good. I, I do like Paul Racy quite a bit too. Um, you know, that said, like I said, I, I've had some problems with the narrative, but I think as a character study, and I think a million percent as a visceral experience, sound design wise, this movie is is amazing. Uh, it's, you know, kind of puts you in the, the ears, in the yeah. ears of a deaf this, person. This is similar. I wish I would have seen this one in a theater to experience uh, that sound design yeah. on, in, in that, in that way. But yeah. It, or yeah, it, it just sounds like any Christopher Nolan movie does yeah. in a theater. Uh, uh, zing. uh, Amazon prime, by the way, for anyone who wants to watch. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, my number two uh is uh yet another uh sentimental pick for the year and i am unashamedly putting <laughs> bill and ted face the music there wait i have a name it's dennis dennis mccoy okay let's go dennis mccoy dennis caleb mccoy that's the, the full name. let's go dude how are we gonna find them dude i don't know dude yeah i don't even know dude <laughs> oh, that is, so that is uh anthony kerrigan as uh dennis caleb mccoy um steals every scene he's in anthony kerrigan of barry fame barry fame um look I, there's just no i'm look i'm a bill and ted fan from a long time ago um those were movie big movies when i was a kid and, a, and, a, and an early teenager um it was a good movie this is number a, two of the year I'm telling you, this is a sentimental pick because of how it made me feel. Um, this is probably the most joyous I've felt watching a movie this year. Um, you know, there are better movies, um, but none of them made me feel like this one did. And I think it's, um, you know, it's a rare, rare thing for one of these these properties to come back after, you know, in this case, 29 years. And, and do uh, it successfully. Yeah, and be effective enough to uh, to to please fans. You know, I don't I don't think it's perfect by any means. I don't think it's anything other than a, than a diversion. But God damn, it made me feel good this year to watch this. And I think this this year more than any other year needed something like that. Did you did you see it? I can't remember if we talked about. Yes, Jocelyn. I was here, and I okay, was yeah. the bridge between you two. I think. Yeah, Cody. I mean, Cody. I understand it's past his time or before his time, and. He just I enjoyed finally it. Watched, he finally watched the first films. Yeah. Uh, and he this didn't year. get it. Did not like whatever. them. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we like to say you did not get them. You know, it's like. There's nothing to get. You got to be in the 1980s to understand them. Well, I mean, like if you watched, uh, you know, fucking Rookie of the Year now, exactly. you would not be a fan. Cinema. It's pure cinema. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah you would not, uh, you would not be a fan of, of, of what it offered, but yeah, look, I get it. I get it. It's, um, 
The girls you, were awesome. I loved them. The uh, the daughters. Uh, oh yeah, some uh, Samara Weaving and uh, I forget the other actress's name, but yeah. No, this is just a lot of fun. Um, and I, you know, this movie was uh, released. It was supposed to be in theaters, released on VOD. I think it's, you know, if you're a fan of it, I mean, it's it's a big bowl of comfort food, and I think it's a it's an enjoyable movie to boot. You know, it's not, it's not. Uh, Made me want to boot. I think if you're a Bill and Ted fan, then yes, it was very good. But I think if you're approaching it as a newbie, you oh, might yeah. not. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's not. It. This is not for people to casually jump into. Like what? Right. Like I mean, you're not like, going to oh, get. Let it. me watch Bill and Ted. The but new yeah, one. you know, you're a 42 year old guy like I am, <laughs> and uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna watch this, and, and it's gonna give you the warm fuzzies that stuff like Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and. All this other crap didn't give you uh, 30 years after the fact. Uh, Okay. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the number one movies of the year. Cody, start us off. Your number one movie is... My number one movie is a movie that we will talk about in the coming weeks because it's not out yet. And that is Minari. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 통곡이니까. Grandma smells like Korea. 야. 뭐라고? Grandma smell? This is a Korean family drama, uh, sort of an a, a, an American assimilation mm-hmm. drama, I would say. What what made you put this at number 1, Cody? Well, you know, um, it was it was a really tough call between this and Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. And I think the thing that ultimately put Minari ahead was that it's more of a kind of sweeping kind of thing. It's more, um, I would say, enjoyable to watch. Um, it has some levity in it. Um, and uh, abortion drama, Korean family uh, moving yeah. to Arkansas. Yeah, it's it's a it's a toss up, but um, you know the thing about Minari that I think is so lovely is that it is a an, it's an American dream movie through and through, but it's also um, it it also studies the in depth um, sort of breakdown between a marriage and like kind of a disagreement of the American dream and and and, and sort of you know Stephen Yeun's character is super. Um, you know, fighting for it. And then his wife is, is sort of unsure about it. And I, and so it's, you know, it is an American dream, but it's also in a re- relationship drama. And then it has this great third piece of it, which is the, the relationship between the grandmother in the movie and the kids and the family and things like that. And, and I just, I was really charmed by the movie. Um, I was really moved by it. Um, I think the performances top to bottom are really great. Steven Yeun is really, really good. I hope he gets some Oscar consideration. Uh, the actress's name who plays the grandmother also, I, I, I believe, will probably be in The Hunt, and I cannot remember her name right now. Um, but um, I think it's really funny at times. I think it's got some really great 
little jokes uh, in there. Um, and yeah, it's 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 uh, it's got a really powerful um, kind of climax ending scene as well. It's not the end end scene, but it's also but it's uh, comes right before that, which I think is is really kind of a a stunner of a scene. And uh, yeah, I, I just I can't say enough good things about it, and um, and just kind of a beautiful American dream story. Yeah, I um, I think if I had an honorable mention list, this would be in it um it's 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 very well done it's very um you know like you said it's it's a little slice of you know it's the 80s um at some point in this movie i'm not sure when it's when it's supposed to be but they they do talk about how uh reagan wants to bail out farmers and that's kind of the the meal ticket that uh um uh Steven Yeun's character has, you know, is that they that Reagan wants the farms to succeed and he wants to be a farmer. Um, Will Patton plays a, a a very kind of religious sort of weirdo in it, mm-hmm. um, who I think it ends up being very endearing uh, mm-hmm. as a character. Uh, it, it's it's a little more slice of life, I think, than I anticipated. Yeah, because there's not really a lot that happens. You know, I I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but it's not really. Uh, you know, if you're if you're thinking this is another, you know, and I don't want to generalize here because they're both Korean movies. If you think this is another Parasite, it's not. You know, it's not a, it's not some like class drama, dark comedy thing. It's, it's a very a, American movie, despite being, you know. Oh, it's mostly in Korean, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I mean they're in Arkansas, and I think uh, you know. I think kind of refreshingly, um, it doesn't vilify the people that they live around. Like it, it kind of tiptoes on a, a few times into you know a, a cultural insens- ins- insensitivity of the people. But I think that it's it's strictly naivete. Like it's, yeah. mostly it's a child, you know. Um, so I think that's a little refreshing is that they're not facing any kind of you know persecution or or, or discrimination for being Korean. Um. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I I think it's a little slower than I would have liked, but um, I think it's 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 a nice little uh, piece of a Americana by way yeah. of a Korean family. Hopefully, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the coming weeks. You haven't seen it, right, Jocelyn? No, I have no. to emotionally prepare myself. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that it's a big giant. It, I didn't find it to be a big giant emotional hit. Okay, good. The trailer said it's going to break your heart to rebuild it and make it stronger. And I was like, well, I don't want my heart to be broken <laughs> right now. So I like it the way it is. Yeah, uh, I'm okay. Okay. Jocelyn, uh, your number two movie, or sorry, excuse me, number your one. number one movie of the year. What is it? The trial of Chicago seven, <laughs> the Ohio state university. <laughs> What's your problem with me, Hayden? I really wish people would stop asking you that question. Dave wouldn't want us to answer fall. it one time. All right. My problem is that for the next 50 years, when people think of progressive politics, they're going to think of you. They're going to think of you and your idiot followers passing out daisies to soldiers and trying to levitate the Pentagon. So they're not going to think of equality or justice. They're not going to think of education or poverty or progress. They're going to think of a bunch of stone lost, disrespectful, foul-mouthed, lawless losers. And so we'll lose elections. All because of me. Yeah. And winning elections, that's the first thing on your wish list. Equality, justice, education, poverty, and progress. They're second. 
if you don't win elections, it doesn't matter what's second. So uh, you had this at number one. Cody had this at number five. I had it at number seven. Uh, what made you put this at number one, Jocelyn? Yeah. Well, y'all watched this when I was on maternity leave, and I came back, and y'all were like, it was really good. And I was like, there's no way that movie was that good. And so I just watched it recently. Jerks. We have no credibility, well, I guess. <laughs> well, here's the thing. it was a, It's an Aaron Sorkin movie. And I have a love-hate relationship with that gentleman. And in this, in the meantime, since since you guys selected it, and since I watched it, just you know, this new year, um, I had forgotten that it was Aaron Sorkin. So, like, I can't tell you how many times I'm watching this movie, thinking, "God, who did this? This is so good. I wonder who did this." And then at the end, when his name popped up, I was like, "You, damn you it. fooled like, me. You got me, Sorkin. Aaron. I got Sorkin." So I literally had forgotten that he did it. And then I was so pleasantly surprised. And I honestly think he should only be allowed to do courtroom dramas for the rest of his career <laughs> because he does them so well. And this was just so, uh, it, it was just perfect. It was like a perfect movie. It had everything that I wanted. Um, it had great performances. It had a great story. It had uh, Sorkinisms. I wonder if Eddie Redmayne, if he just, they just showed him that Jeff Daniels newsroom uh, Cody was showing me that it's like literally oh, yeah. Aaron Sorkin plagiarizing. Yeah, but it, but it, well, yeah, but it's like present tense as opposed to past right. tense. Yeah, and yeah. I, it's just like I love him for doing that. And um, what else about it? I mean, like, wow, Sasha Baron Cohen. I was so impressed with that. Was another thing I took away from it where I was like, why doesn't he do more uh, serious roles? Like, he is such a great serious actor. He was supposed to, mention- to be. He was supposed to be Freddie Mercury in the Queen. Oh, movie that's that right. And then there was like a fallout. Because the because like because fucking Brian no 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 it was Brian it was May yeah. they they wanted it to be like half oh. of the movie about post his death like, yeah no no one and, I, and I think they didn't even want to mention AIDS in the movie yeah it was a they weird didn't want to, and the director uh, got fired too right well yeah that was, that well, was but that's that's unrelated but yeah okay that's but anyway so he did amazing repo. Jeremy Strong is in it um who is Kendall Roy in Succession who I'm also a huge fan of from that show. Uh, wow. And he is like 180 degrees from his role as Kendall Roy in this movie. He is just like the perfect, like stoner hippie dude that is like just kind of a great sidekick to Sasha Baron Cohen's character. Um, and then, I mean, I could go on. There's uh, Michael Keaton makes a surprise performance. That's like just a little small part. That's amazing. Um, the defense attorney also Mark Rylance. Yes. Mark Rylance is great. Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the prosecutor. It's like so much going on and it all does it so well. And I think it, it, he really restrained himself, Aaron Sorkin did, because there are moments like the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, I think, was also like maybe tiptoeing on uh, being a little he's too a little, much. I think he's a little too noble for exactly. what the real character 100%, was. Yes. And that's where you see Sorkin kind of coming in a little, but I feel like he towed the line very well. So bravo, Aaron Sorkin, you made a great movie and I'm excited to see Molly's Game because I heard that one's good too. Oh yeah, no that I think the two movies he's directed that this and Molly's Game are really good. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know there is some like Molly's Game. All of a sudden, Idris Elba is talking about the fucking Crucible, like it's a reference that everyone makes. And yeah. Anyway, uh, Cody, you had this at number five. Yeah, I, I think that it's a great ensemble acting piece. I think that the standout for me personally is Mark Rylance, who I think is is gives the best performance of the movie. Um, 
and I think that, you know, I also have a difficult complex relationship with Aaron Sorkin's writing. And um, I, I, I think that this is most of the good with, with little of the bad. And I think that it's, you know, I, there's a big, there seems to be a big chasm between film critics on this one. Cause there's a lot of film critics who fucking hate this movie. <laughs> and I find that so interesting um, because I think that it's, they super... need to forget it's Aaron Sorkin. They need to just like erase that from their brain because that yeah. helps. Sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's super well-written. I think that it's, it's really funny. I think there's a lot of really great, like, you know, look, I mean, if you know Aaron Sorkin's writing, you know that every character is capable of delivering the most vicious jab of all time. And, um, and I think that that plays really well in a mo- in, in a movie like this. And I think that it's got some really great laugh out loud moments, especially in the courtroom. Um, I think that the Frank Langella stuff's a little heavy handed. Um, yeah. and I think that, uh, that he it's very stereotypical evil judge kind of thing i know Um, i i get that but i i didn't that didn't take it away take away from me i i i liked his performance first of all and i think that there's a lot to be said about the movie needing that they needed just they couldn't make it more complex than him being just a bad guy you know yeah i feel like that would have been too much yeah i mean um Jumping off of Cody's thing, I think that the Frank Langella stuff is a little over the top. As I mentioned, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that character is probably not nearly as noble as the movie tries to uh, tries to make him out to be. And I think uh, the the Bobby Seal character, who is is kind of lumped in there as the eighth member, who's a Black Panther member uh, or Black Panther leader, I believe uh, that that storyline's not given enough. Uh, room to breathe and it just becomes kind of a repetition of margaret island saying he's not his attorney um and i think that's a little you know i I assume that's close to what really happened but it it doesn't really serve the story um as it's being told um you know it is it is kind of really funny most of it comes from sasha baron cohen and i think a little from jeremy strong too as you mentioned i think um jeremy quite uh, strong yeah i think uh um uh God, what is his name? Uh, um, I forget the bald guy. Shit, what is his name? Uh, Which one? The uh, oh. John Carroll Lynch. John oh, Carroll Lynch okay. is uh, has some really good lines too. Uh, and you know, uh, I, I this this is probably one of my favorite Eddie Eddie Redmayne roles. I think he's a little much uh, <laughs> a lot of the time, uh, but I think he delivers the Sorkin dialogue really well. And again like you mentioned Cody I think it's I think it's most of the best of Sorkin with little of the worst of Sorkin mm-hmm. um you know you can pick it apart if you want uh as a Sorkin thing and I think that's probably why it's so divisive but I think it's just a really well-oiled machine like this mm-hmm. thing is is confident and 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 it strolls right through with uh with hardly a misstep so uh this is a Netflix film uh, now after playing theatrically for a little while. Um, so yeah. Uh, so on that note, my number one is uh, a movie that was on all of our lists and it is a documentary called Collective. Zile. 
Deci, practic, ei au ascuns lucrurile astea, da? Dacă nu spunem lucrurilor pe nume, suntem complici. Cody, you had this at number three. Jocelyn, you had this at number four. Um, I had this at number one, obviously. Um, this is a, a documentary about a... Uh, it starts off with a, a, a nightclub fire in Romania that kills um, several people um, You know, in, in the initial fire. But then uh, it becomes a problem when people that were taken to the hospital with survivable burns end up dying from a, a, a very virulent infection. Um, and it kind of, it's this, um, it's a sports paper. Essentially, uh, the investigators there blow open this story about uh, sanitation practices in hospitals and how it, uh, you know, it's tied to government corruption and all kinds of other things. Um, and it, God, it's just so gripping. Um, yeah. It's all in Romanian. Uh, it's all subtitled, but it it's so relatable to the United States, especially as the movie wraps up. Because uh, this this nightclub fire happened in 2015, this uh, investigation and the the process you're seeing took place in 2016, and the movie kind of wraps up um, with uh, the election of a uh, populist uh, political party in Romania. Uh, that is uh, more than likely going to undo whatever changes came along in the movie uh, as a result of the investigation, which if you don't really know, that's kind of the story of the United States of America. You know, that's where we, where we were. And that's why we're where we are now. Um, got just a, 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 a movie that I haven't stopped thinking about since I saw it. Um, you know, being in, being in journalism, I think is, is probably a big part of that. But seeing that these people are the ones that that really broke this thing open, um, you know, and the idea that, you know, this is not a, uh, you know, Romania is not a developing country. This is a, a this is a, a big European, you know, a, a, this is a part of the European Union. This is something that, you know, it's a it's an advanced Western civilization that civilization, I say, advanced Western nation that, you know, has you know, top of the line, supposedly healthcare and people are dying because of this corruption. Um, yeah, I just really, really powerful movie, really, really, uh, uh, kind of crazy. The access the documentary filmmakers got, mm -hmm. I think especially telling is, uh, you know, when there's the health minister gets replaced and his replacement allows the crew to embed with him which is not something you would ever see from any sort of cabinet member in the United States. Um, it just, I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about this movie and it's just, it's, it's never left my thoughts since I saw it. And especially how like prescient it is to <laughs> the current situation in the United States. Uh, so the two of you had it on your list, Cody, you had it at uh, number three. Yeah. Well, I mean, easily the best documentary of the year. Um, and uh, and anyone out there who's a documentary fan, I would say this is absolutely essential to see um, because it is sort of in the vein of uh, something like Citizen Vore, where you are watching history happen. You are seeing yeah. you are seeing uh, this giant story of corruption be discovered in real time. And I think that the best thing about the movie it is it is that it is impeccably edited, 
there's not an ounce of fat on this movie. Like it is, it's lean. It's it, it's gripping the entire time. Every scene is essential. And the funny thing about it is that on paper, it doesn't sound very exciting. I mean, it really is. You're watching these journalists break open a story, and then you're watching a guy trying to fix the problem. And uh, and yet somehow it is. You cannot take your eyes away from. The, and, and part of it is because it is it feels like a historical document like it feels like you are watching um something um evolve and take place and be discovered and um and uh i i i honestly think that it is the best documentary about investigative journalism that i've ever seen yeah yeah i mean you're watching a entire nation's healthcare system kind of fall to pieces yeah at the hands of corruption and like I said, it's not a it's not a developing nation. This is a this is a this is a you know European country that is you know on par with anything else. But uh, Jocelyn, you had at number four. Yeah, I think I agree with um, Cody that it's like one of the most riveting documentaries about journalism, and I think it should be showed like two journalists, like budding reporters. It's that inspiring. I remember in journalism school, like they would always show all the president's men, which is a fine movie, but it, it's not anywhere near as compelling as this, um, as this is. And and I think it does sound like it can be really heavy and and too too dense. I think it sounds like that. Like, oh, great. I'm going to watch this movie about a Romanian, you know, club fire and then about corruption in their government. Like, that doesn't sound fun. And they do such a good job of making it interesting and riveting and all those things that you guys have said already. I just totally back that up. And I, I mean, I think, again, it can't be understated how much this parallels the situation that this country is in. You know, I don't think that, you know, when you see corruption laid bare and the fact that it ends up costing lives on a scale, you know, that is more massive than it should be. Yeah. Is, and then uh, seeing the people who are unwilling to put up with that, you know, the people who are working so very hard day after day and getting up and going to work to try to combat that is what is so fascinating. And, and then... And then the idea that an election can just undo all of it. Yeah. Well, and also, too, it, it is really interesting to see juxtaposed with what what we see in this country where, um, you know, the seeing how the public responds to the journalists who break this open. Like, there's a scene where there are people chanting the names of journalists to celebrate the work that they're doing. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> like, you know, it's 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 wild. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just so powerful. And again, I, I agree with you, Jocelyn. I think this is a kind of must watch if you're a journalism fan, not a fan, but like trying to be a journalist. For and, sure. Uh, I think you can be a fan of journalism. Why not? I think so too. That'd yeah. be weird. The, exactly. Like what Cody just said, they're fanting or they're fanting, <laughs> chanting their names. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's, there's a, a few things that don't necessarily translate. You know, I mean, it, Romania has a, a form of universal health care. And uh, part of the idea is that um, people would leave uh, out of country to get major surgery. And I can't remember which country they were going to, something neighboring to Romania. Oh, I forget Austria? Where it was. I think it was Austria. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember. Like, yeah, I think they were going to Vienna. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, so the idea that, you know, obviously that's 
not an option for most people in the United States to go to Canada or wherever. Uh, yeah, just a really, really great movie, and I, I can't recommend it enough. And I've recommended it to many of my coworkers. Well, and, and and also one extra thing too is that again, it plays out like a narrative. So I think even if you if you are not super into documentaries, or you know maybe it sounds boring, I can promise you it feels like a narrative movie. Yeah. It's crazy how it does actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, that is our top ten movies of twenty twenty. You guys, that was a long journey, but. Uh, yeah, high five. Uh, <laughs> high five high five, Cody. Uh, uh, there you go. <laughs> now high five, Jocelyn. Thanks, guys. Uh, whatever. That worked. <laughs> uh yeah, a strange year for movies, but I think uh, you know, probably uh probably the easiest Oh yeah year we've had to watch stuff so without question i mean it's amazing how you can no problem watch four movies in a week when you don't have to leave your home mm-hmm. um whereas you know trying to imagine going to the theater four times a week like fuck oh I, I would i would not do it um yeah. what are you looking forward to in 2021 anything in particular or is it just kind of all up in the air at this french point? dispatch Oh yes, uh, the Wes Anderson film. Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't because I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't, I don't think that there was anything that was particularly pushed that like broke my heart. Space Jam: A New Legacy, obviously. Looking forward to that in twenty twenty. The Bond. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I mean, um, who knows what's going to happen? There's a that. few that I'm excited about. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to like uh, smaller movies. I, probably something uh, that belonged on hbo anyway the sopranos prequel many saints of newark yeah oh. um, i think edgar wright has a new movie coming out in 2021 i believe so yeah. last night in soho yeah um all right that's gonna do it for this week next week do we have anything i don't even know so the way that the beginning of the year is going to work is just we're going to be catching up on a lot of 2020 releases that are just kind of hitting um and even though the year is over there's still some stuff i think that like i mean i think we definitely need to cover promising young woman Definitely need to cover Minari and the Father. Oh, you, hold on! I, I forgot I made this, so you oh. can see our our top ten movies laid out uh, in text form. Uh, you can see that uh, we had uh, quite a few that that lined up. I think this is uh, Cody. I think this is probably the first year ours has been pretty cl- uh, had this many uh, matching ones. Yeah, I think so too. I, I usually have about five to six match up with Kiko, and I think I do again this year. But usually. Um, Jared, you're like a split between Kiko and I having matching ones, but this year is pretty, pretty close. Yeah, Jocelyn, uh, you uh, you were pretty close too. Um, I'm just all over the place, except for that uh, conservative boys state. <laughs> Can't believe it. Uh, uh, it's a cautionary so, movie. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be getting some spillover from 2020, um, and then some. You know, it's it's going to be interesting, Jared, because you know usually. Uh, January's the dumping ground, but there's nowhere to dump now. So will they still dump shitty movies onto VOD? If it's all the same, I, I don't really know. Um, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll find stuff. I mean, we, and we may have fewer movies um, to start off before we really kick into gear, but we'll find stuff. Yeah, well, you know, there's always, uh, you know, whatever uh, is on Netflix gets pumped out every week. I'm yeah. really... So I'm I gotta just vent here a little bit. I'm really um, I'm, I'm trying to do this other podcast project with my wife, um, and I want uh, as an end result, I'm having to wait to watch uh, the new season of Cobra Kai, and it's really killing me <laughs> <laughs> uh, because 
I've I've been a fan of the show since it was on YouTube, and I saw the second season like a month before everyone else. Um, so it's really- they are turning out seasons for that show like. I wish other shows. Cobra Kai. Yeah. Well, no, they I can't already had already they, on their third. But they had two in the can. It started in like uh, 20, 2018, 2017. Okay. okay. Just everyone saw it finally on Netflix. No one I saw see. it when it was on YouTube. Everyone was like, "Holy shit, this thing's great!" Like, yeah, motherfucker, I saw it two okay, years ago. Okay, so I thought it, people just started watching it, and now all of a sudden there was three seasons, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's not fair." Jared and I are going to have to find something to do for Wandavision too, because that's in. Less than oh, two yeah. weeks from now. So whether we talk yeah. about it on here or do a bonus re-MCU of some kind. Maybe we should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to listen to it, want to email us. You can do that at podcast.cinesnob.net. Find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook, Cinesnob.net. Uh, you can listen to our other podcast, re-MCU, uh, re-watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, also, there's Corn Stream out there. I assume there's still an unreleased episode <laughs> uh, that was recorded like three <laughs> months ago. Um, I think that show has probably run its course at this point. Yeah, we had uh, some people. I, we had some really interesting guests lined up that just kind of, uh, you know, stopped responding. But maybe I'll, I'll reach out to a couple other people and just follow up and see if they want to be back. Whatever. Man. I mean, we're not. We're still in fucking quarantine, so yeah. You know, I don't know. You social. You you had a social. Yeah, outing. you did break quarantine <laughs> to go eat lobster in, a, in Jocelyn's backyard. And, yeah, eat lobster and drink French champagne. That's so oh, weird. The, the only champagne is French. That yes. is correct. Everything else is just sparkling Fine, wine. Find real champagne then. That, or Prosecco. Isn't that the ham? Mm-mm. That's prosciutto. That's prosciutto. <laughs> <laughs> Either one. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, only a Heathcliff fan would say that. Oh. <laughs> I, that I is don't have any Heathcliff things in front of me. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, Cody, you've got the ramble. Yeah, Ramble uh, Ramble Radio is on Tuesdays and Fridays. Regular Rambles on Wednesdays. Good Willow Hunting is on Thursdays. And this week, this upcoming week, and probably what I'm watching tonight is Cobra. Oh, man, I don't know that I've even seen that one. Yeah. Stallone? Yeah. I, I was trying to... I, I get that one confused with Commando, which is Schwarzenegger and uh, Alyssa Milano plays his daughter. Oh, wow. Uh, I get those two confused because the... You know, because they both start with a C and an O. So uh, I don't know anything about Cobra, I don't think. I don't either. It's got Stallone in it. But I think his character's name is Cobra Cobretti. (laughs) (laughs) Jocelyn, what about you? Are you showing any more movies in your backyard? Uh, That's a great idea. It's kind of uh, involved to get it all set up, you know? You wonder if it's all worth it. But then once you're watching it outside, you're like, this is awesome. Um, But yeah, I have a lot of movies that I need to catch up on just from 2020 after y'all's selections i bet you anything that by the end of january your top 10 will be drastically different than it is i know that (laughs) really you think so drastically i think that there is at least three or four movies that will make jocelyn's list that she has not seen yet that i haven't had a chance to see yes yes okay that's fair i mean boys state will move up (laughs) (laughs) yeah that'll move to number one (laughs) I still, I I totally stand behind that choice. All right. Anything else before we go? No, uh, no but uh, sucks for you. You're going to have to uh, break this up for Alphonic. This so. is our very long, very long episode. Oh, so on that yeah. note, I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. <laughs> I'm Jocelyn Duran. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net.
See you next week.